Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, it's a two-hour and 30-minute adventure into digression as Graham McMillan and I spend more than an hour talking non-comic book stuff like the new Star Wars teaser, the charms of Chris Pratt, the dangers of Boz Lerman, the secrets of Live, Die, Repeat, the legacy of Scritti, Politi, the problems of the Wolverine, and much, much more. Then it's on to a no-prisoners-taken conversation on Multiversity, Pax Americana by Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley, as well as Annihilator by Grant Morrison and Fraser Irving, as well as a few non-Grant Morrison comic books. Pre-Cyber Monday show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Graham McMillan, I think it sort of half cut you off. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Can, can you hear me? Ah, son of a bitch. Graham, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you not hear me? Yeah, well, yes and no. It um, it came on with you being stir, so I can just guess what that first half was. It, it was, unsurprisingly, Jeff left. <laughs> <laughs> that is shocking. That is shocking. I... Who saw that? That is coming? like Star Wars The Force Awakes shocking, isn't it? <laughs> hey, that trailer worked for me, okay? It did everything it was supposed to, namely remind me of the first few movies. Oh, didn't it do such a good job of that? Oh my god. It, it really, it's funny, so for uh, Hollywood Reporter, I think it's a story that's going live tomorrow, but it's definitely a story I wrote earlier this week, uh, was looking at all the other teasers and trailers for the movies. Mm-hmm. And your first three movies are very much like, you know, late 70s, early 80s trailers. And you've got a voiceover being like, the movie's coming out, get excited, it's space! <laughs> um, and then you get to the, the teasers for the prequels. And the prequels have terrible trailers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And so part of me today, seeing this uh, Force Awakens trailer, part of my excitement is just, it's a decent trailer. Like, it's not even like, it's going to, it's, it doesn't, it's, there's nothing revelationary about mm-hmm. it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it tells you nothing new about the mm-hmm. film. But in that it just doesn't suck as bad as the other ones, <laughs> I honestly was like, oh, that's good. What? Okay, then. Uh, see, okay, so this is, this is the thing that I think is interesting, because I feel, um, uh, um let me break this down. Part of the problem with the prequels is they are trailers for pretty terrible movies. Right and sure, but even within that, the trailers are terrible uh, because the trailers for each of the movies, the teasers are all right, too bad, depending mm-hmm. on where you fall in the spectrum. Right. But the actual trailers are terrible because for some reason, all of the trailers are really weirdly cut mm-hmm. and feel the need to try and get over far too much of the story. See, and okay, so you have exposition within the trailers. But see, this this was actually this was kind of what I was going for. Is is that so Lucas's big deal, well, obviously. I mean, so this is part of why I think that the move, the prequels themselves, are kind of horrible. But one could argue that uh, Lucas has was putting a huge priority on the exposition, you know, uh, it, oh, in sure. those movies, right? And one of the things that I think, and I'm not saying that The Force Awakes is going to be great. It could very well be terrible, but. One of the things that they did that was very smart is 
because the people putting together the movie are essentially reassuring us that the that it, it, they're visually reassuring us. You know what I mean? So, oh, everything about the the teaser is it's like the first three, not the other three. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And very much like the, so much so the design. Like one of the things I think is interesting is, of course, Lucas was trying to do very different things with the design in the prequels. And so his movies also kind of, his trailers, I think, tried to reflect that. And of course, that design was kind of like, blah. Whereas here, there is a lot that, um, that, that it, it's very much like, yeah, this is what you guys love. Don't worry. I mean, and it really is. It's like we are going to, you know, shoot the fan service right through the, your eyeballs until your heart explodes, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the trailer is hilarious yeah. for that. The, you see the Millennium Falcon at the same time as you hear, like, the John Williams yeah. theme. Mm-hmm. That it really is just like, hey, fanboys. Yeah. I, I, which is – which I think is really smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also – completely got yeah 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 and i i i like i was going into it super cynical Mm -hmm. being like there this is going to be fan service Mm -hmm. like i am a cynical bastard i'm not going to fall for your fan service and i swear to god the first shot is when they got Mm -hmm. this the uh the john williams sting when you see john boyega stand up it's the music in particular Mm. i was like oh shit well you know it's kind of interesting that shot itself is to me that's kind of one of those great like Oh, this is um, is such a J.J. Abrams shot. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. literally, uh, it's it, it is an enjoyable enough visual on its own, but it is also like as much of a thematic statement, like jammed into a, a single image as you can get. Really? Oh yeah, and it's it's fascinating that the only two human faces you see in the trailer. Are a woman and a black man. Uh, As opposed, to, yeah, well, you've got the X-wing pilot too. Oh, you see, you do. You have the mm-hmm. X. I I keep forgetting it. Yeah. <laughs> when I did my write-up for the Hollywood Reporter today, I completely forgot that scene. <laughs> and the the editor had to be like, "No, yeah. <laughs> no, no, Graham." I was like, "Wait, I completely, for- I did, I completely forgot the X-wing yeah. fighter." Yeah, okay. Then, then you're totally yeah. right. But I'm but wrong. by the same token, it is interesting. Uh, uh, God, hopefully that, that was not a pun. That was no, no pun was intended in that. But you have, you have a stormtrooper, you've got a citizen, and you've got an, uh, you've got a rebel, you know? And I think yeah. that that itself is kind of, again, well, very it- well positioned. And of course, there's a spectrum of everything. It's a beautiful piece of, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of placation, you know? It's, it's a wonderful, trailer not i'm not even sure if it's a wonderful trailer as a trailer oh, yeah but it's a wonderful piece of political exactly uh filmmaking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it does everything it's supposed mm-hmm. to do Ex- well exactly exactly it is it, in the sense of it's yeah exactly it is a commercial but it's as much a commercial about jj abrams intentions i suppose yeah it is it very much is and so you get there, there's not one thing in that teaser that is unfamiliar, right. but also not one thing is a recreation of the way that George Lucas exactly. did. Exactly, exactly. And so you really, do, throughout the entire thing, you have the, oh, I know what that is, but it looks kind of different. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what that is, but it looks kind of different for the, everything. And you're like, okay. Like, even when they show the, the, the R2 droids, yes. 
but he's got a ball for a body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I know that noise. Yeah. I know that head. But that's 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 not what he looks like. <laughs> and so the whole thing yeah. is, you know, fan fan service novelty. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like I know the. I, it's like I know you want the fan service. You also want it done. You just don't want something that's by the numbers. You know, and and I'm and I'm here to give it to you. It and, and again, I'm really going to bring it. So, which I think was great. You know, yeah. So yes, good job, trailer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. As like just a little dinky statement, it was kind of like, wow. Well, I'm hmm okay. Like I'm yeah. I, I was it's good. I went from you know I guess I'll see it to I'm actually excited mm -hmm. to see it mm -hmm. after seeing that yeah. trailer. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed to the Jurassic World trailer, which I went from, oh, I completely forgot the movie existed, to, okay. <laughs> Did you not have that? Like, Jurassic World, interestingly enough, seemed like, the trailer seemed like it was very specifically trying to recreate specific shots mm -hmm. from the original movie. Yeah. And that their innovation was, hey, look, Chris Pratt's in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their innovation in this one was like, hey, good news, we've castrated Chris Pratt, you know? It's like, we, we managed to, like, grab him, we tied him down, we actually removed the bit that makes him, like, enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. You know that sort of, like, sense of humor thing? We got him to, yeah. like, try and pretend to be a badass. Yeah, it, it, which is very much to me... I mean, this is the thing. Jurassic Park, I thought, was only ever an okay movie, and I thought the sequel was like one of the worst pieces of junk ever. And so what truly funny is I, I didn't even realize that I hadn't seen the sequels until I saw the trailer oh, for Jurassic really? world. And then I was like, I've never seen Jurassic world two or three. I've never yeah, seen. Them. Yeah. If you see, like, I swear to God, to me, Jurassic park looks like an amazing sequel to Jurassic park two in that sense. Cause Jurassic park two is an unbelievable sad cheesy bit of crap that that also is like because it's similar you know they but they hired well. vince vaughn yeah it's also spielberg spielberg got vince vaughn in who's hot off of swingers you know funny and charismatic and kind of unpredictable and drained him of all charisma and anything that's interesting it was kind of like oh here i'll make you kind of the classic tough guy and they did exactly the same thing with chris pratt it was like oh he's going to be the hyper capable badass but in this way that you're like who ever wanted to see chris pratt that way except yeah, chris I pratt say, you know no yeah no one that's not the chris pratt that anyone wants to see especially after guardians of the galaxy after guardians of the galaxy everyone just wants to see star lord again jeff have you gone are you agreeing with me but you press mute i fucking graham <laughs> The best part is I always blame you for this just because you recommended this headset. I've gone on to recommend it to other people, mind you, <laughs> even though I fucking yeah, hate it. Only you have such a problem with the mute button. I do. Graham, I don't understand. You you don't – where does your – what? how do you not have this goddamn thing like <laughs> fall into your lap and like mute itself all the time? But here's the thing. It's in my lap. It's just that I don't mute myself. I don't know. I don't know your My problem. contempt is muting understand. me right now. <laughs> yeah. And then you just go quiet. See, yeah. That's not yeah, funny. yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like yeah. And then I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> exactly. Just <laughs> just because you're like it's in my lap, but I'm doing it right. I'm like, 
Yeah. Fine. 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 Yeah, Jur- Jurassic but, World. But, oh, sorry. We're, we're, yeah, I was going to say, we, we agree that this is not a Chris Pratt anyone wants to see, yes. right? Also, I love that the trailer starts with Judy Greer being the mom, and you're like, hey, Judy Greer, she's funny, and then she just don't see her again. Yeah. It focuses on her kid, and you're like, I don't care about Judy Greer's kids. Yeah. I want Judy I want Greer to Judy be Judy Greer and Ty Burrell. Like, I'm like, that's a couple that I want to see together. I love both of them. I mean, not enough to watch Modern Family, but seriously, I love Ty Burrell, man. <laughs> I, I have, for my sins, I like Modern Family. Uh, far less with every successive episode. Mm, yeah. it, it is it's an incredible lesson in that joke probably ceased to be funny a couple of years ago, and it's purely goodwill for the performers that I'm still mm-hmm. watching. But I think Ty Burrell is really mm-hmm. good in it. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, Burrell was doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, like, I know this is not a movie that you will ever see, Graham, but I have to say the remake of Dawn of the Dead that uh, that Zack Snyder did was really, really well cast. And uh, the people in that were fucking great and that was where i, I first like there's, saw there's like yeah there's like a meta zack snyder joke in there There probably is isn't there that's uh, that zack snyder film is really well cast <laughs> <laughs> you're like well that's true most <laughs> zack snyder films the problem is what comes afterwards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah then 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 the problem then the pain begins the pain. No, but really, like his his movies generally do tend to have really good mm-hmm. guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm sort of, I'm well, I don't know. You know, honestly, I'm sort of, uh, I, I'm I I fall weirdly on the Zack Snyder spectrum. Like, I thought Man of Steel was excruciating. Uh, did not bother with Sucker Punch, although I sort of kind of want to see it. Watchmen. Again, kind of excruciating, but I thought both Dawn of the Dead and 300 were genuinely brilliant, you know? Uh, I, I have the strangest feeling Sucker Punch may be on Netflix, so you might want to, when you Ooh, have a yeah. couple of hmm. see if that's true. I'm, it might not be. I might be totally mm-hmm. imagining. I just have the strangest feeling that recently I came across the chance to see it <laughs> for absolutely no outlay, uh-huh. and I was tempted. Uh-huh. Do you know right. what I mean? It's one of those, like... How bad can it be? And then this little alarm in your brain goes off and it's like, it can probably be pretty bad. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I really feel that it's sort of Zack Snyder's fifth element. You know what I mean? Like kind of the... Wow. I think you've definitely guaranteed that I never going to watch that <laughs> Not a fifth element fan, huh, Graham? Uh, I remember when I saw it and it's what? 99 uh-huh. maybe? Uh-huh. Yeah, something. I remember when I saw it, I was like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it on TV a couple of years later or something, oh, yeah. and was like, this is excruciating. <laughs> yeah. what, the, what the fuck is this film? I can't believe I saw this and didn't think it was a terrible piece of shit. That's pretty funny, because I do remember uh, watching it in the theaters and just being like, Ugh. So it's kind of interesting that I'm like, yeah, it's like the fifth element, I'll watch it. But I mean, I just mean in that <laughs> sort of the same way that the fifth element is one of those, like... Uh, it's Luke Besson basically stealing from all of his comic book influences that he loved as a kid. Yeah, and also I feel it's very much like, you know, this is my film. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you guys, I'm making a big fuck of film. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. And I, I kind of feel that that's, yeah, Zack Snyder is like totally like, oh, dudes, man, remember when I totally had the power bong and all my Vertigo comics in that dorm room for that 36-hour writing experience? It's back, bros. It's <laughs> totally back, bomb. you know. <laughs> oh, man, the power bong. <laughs> 
Zack Snyder's Powerpunk sounds like a really Holy good shit. bad name for a prog rock. I, I want it. I am now going to call myself Zack Snyder's Powerbong. I don't. I don't even <laughs> want to. I, I. My band will never play if, a gig, but I will totally be that, able to. Get if it. that's wrong, I don't want to be <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so, God, I feel like movie trailers, movies, I can tell you about some movies that I watched. Um, sure, why yeah, sure. Is this your way of saying you haven't read any comics recently? Uh, so anyway, about the movies, no, uh. <laughs> is, is it that, because I, I, up until, uh, Wednesday, mm-hmm. I, the only comics I'd read since I last talked to you were back issues of The Avengers after issue 300. Oh my, oh, you, God, Graham, you've lapped, wait. You've lapped me. You're totally ahead where no, we're supposed I, to no, be. No, I've, 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 I've not read the like between where we left off and 300. <laughs> I just skipped ahead to 300. <laughs> and I'm all the way up to like 50, Jeff. And I've got to tell you, we made the right choice in stopping at 300. Well, uh, yes. I mean, I believe you because honestly, it was your choice, and you knew. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It's I was I was right. I was smart because yeah. there's definitely interesting stuff in there. Larry Hammer's run is kind of fascinating to read mm, mm. Uh, but at the same time it's so short mm-hmm. I want to say it's maybe 8 issues wow. and almost everything surrounding it is just dull mm. to be perfectly honest yeah it's amazing how and Burns Run is terrible what's so terrible John, John Burns Run is terrible oh yeah oh I can imagine I'm 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 is it before 300 or is it after 300 are we not going to get to oh it's after oh okay it's just after 300 yeah. It's like 305 through like 320-something. Oh, God, that long. So he did almost two years of it. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I uh, I got to admit, I would almost be willing to hang on just to make it through burn stuff, I think. Um, uh, do what I did. Just read it for your own pleasure or lack thereof. Oh, I see. <laughs> and, then, and then not have to worry about spoiling everyone, soiling everyone else's minds with my opinion. Yeah. So – Yeah, because – yeah. Anyway, what what have you read, or rather, what have you seen? Because you're talking. Yeah, about- let's talk about movies, and then I can do. We can do the comic book stuff. Uh, uh, so last night I saw the um, stealth retitled movie um, "Live Die Repeat," uh, which was released under the name uh, uh, "Edge of Tomorrow." Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Which is really all you need is kill, and I refuse to give it any other name. Uh, yeah, although really all you need is all kill. you need. All you need is kill. Such a great name. <laughs> Such a great name. All you need is kill. Come on. It's a terrible name. It's a oh, terrible name. I love it name. exactly for it because it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the shittiness is very much what draws me towards yeah. it. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, actually let me just run down what I've seen recently because it's like I saw that. Uh, I saw 22 Jump Street. Uh, I saw the Lego movie and I saw the Wolverine. And so I've seen those over the last oh, week. Wait, 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 wait. The Wolverine, the the X Men, the Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Wolverine. yeah. The Wolverine. Why? Okay, because it, uh, because we have HBO Go, and it was on HBO Go, and I think there was a day last week where I was, yeah, it was last Sunday, where I was just like, I'm going to hang out and I'm going to try watching some movies. I'd started I'd started watching both of those actually, um, and had stopped the lego movie like maybe 20 minutes in this was earlier and then like on friday night like Edie and i were looking for something to watch and i was like eh, let's watch the wolverine let's give this a try you know friday night movie night sort of thing right and it was great because she's like sure yeah i'll watch it i mean you know Edie is 
uh, surprisingly, you know, she's she's got that weird. I can't remember if she's read the Chris Claremont Frank Miller stuff or not. I kind of suspect she has, even though she doesn't necessarily remember it. So I was like, yeah, we'll check it out. Sure, why not? And we got maybe forty minutes into the movie, and she turned to me and she was just sort of like, uh, "Am I mistaken, or is this the most boring piece of shit ever made?" <laughs> And I'm like, you're not, no. And the weird part was I was kind of vaguely into it and I did not want to admit it. So I'm like, yeah, no, you're, you're kind of right. Cause it was, it was kind of, it, it was, but oh my God, Graham. So let me tell you. So going in from that order forward, holy shit, the Wolverine. If you ever watch people who stopped watching the Wolverine after 40 minutes because they could not think it could get more dull, you were wrong. It becomes excruciating. No, wait. It it gets more. It dull. gets it more dull. It gets more. I honestly yep. thought that it was. It'd be one of those movies that, like, as it goes on, it just gets stupid. Oh, it gets. Well, it's it. That's the thing that's kind of interesting. Is it starts out with kind of a oh okay they're doing this thing. I'm kind of down with this. It's kind of it, at first I was kind of like in part because it's James Mangold who you know. Uh, directed it and Mangold is one of those dudes who traditionally you know started doing like serious dramas so watching it at first I was kind of like you know I I think that um I I I, I kind of thought that uh it was going to be a little bit like that Sam uh Mendes James Bond movie you know I'm like okay it's nothing revolutionary but it's going to look gorgeous cuz it kind of the first half of it did look pretty gorgeous and I I am I'm trying not to laugh at you but I'm just like Jeff it's the Wolverine well but okay yes um so how am I so how am I supposed to recover from that, Graham? I'm like <laughs> no, yeah. no, but really, like So are you saying that they can't make I, I a movie of, they can't make a, a good movie with Wolverine in it ever? Uh, I'm saying that if they make a movie with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in it and it is anything more than lowest common denominator uh Fox X Men movie, that is by accident or by the filmmaker actively trying to subvert the system. Right. So I kind of thought the filmmaker was trying to, as you know, this is the movie that Aronofsky had started trying to develop with Jackman and then jumped off of it. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And again, looks lovely. I don't remember who the director of photography is, but for the first half, nice. And Jackman is, I, I, despite the fact that he continues to appear in ridiculously shitty movies i still like the guy you know what i mean like maybe it's not fair he's but... he's still a very charming performer he's in almost everything yeah. and he has appeared in some unbearably bad yeah, movies just... and yet mm-hmm. you you just almost have to feel some level of goodwill yeah. towards him because there's something about yeah. him and also i feel that he is kind of um you know he's a dude who keeps trying to do kind of serious films like they're sort of serious fantastic films like the prestige or uh uh, what was the one that he did uh, that was kind of like that um (laughs) australia like the prestige uh yeah no 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 you're not thinking of of um Australia. It wasn't called Australia, was it? Yeah, it is called Australia. It was called Australia. Is, is yeah, it really? Oh god, because that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it is terrible. Uh, well, actually, I don't, I don't know, but 
Come no, on. it is because Gandalf. Oh, was did you <laughs> see? It was this one of those films where we like actually confessed to this stuff. Okay, tell me. Oh no, because it, it was one of those films where Kate was like, "This will be great," and I was like, "I don't know. I don't like Baz Luhrmann. I, you know, Hugh Jackman's fine, Nicole Kidman's fine, but I think this is going to be terrible." And it's you, or at least I did. I got totally sucked in. In uh, this can't really be happening. Oh yeah, right. Oh, I you know, I it's it's it can't get worse. Oh, it's gotten worse. Oh God. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's going to get worse. It's just getting worse. Uh, but then I was just like, I've wasted my life. Not just the two hours this movie went on. I've wasted my entire life that it led to this. It's terrible. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I believe it, unfortunately. Uh, because, God, what the fuck did I see? Oh, I saw The Great Gatsby, which was just enormously bad. That was another oh, one that was on HBO. Australia was enough to make me... Yeah. Basically, it's weird never to watch another. Yeah, movie. it's kind of a shame. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's the smart. It's the smart choice. <laughs> it's and then and then I saw the trailer for the Great Gatsby, and I was like, I think I'm. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a shame because you know Baz Luhrmann, uh, in terms of making great cheesy movies, you know what I mean? Like that's a guy. Like I still can watch either Strictly Ballroom, and maybe like once every six years after like the. Whatever in the small intestine that, you know, it kills off has grown back, I can rewatch Moulin Rouge. But, um. Oh, I see. I kind of like it. Yeah, Moulin Rouge. Rouge is kind of great. Like I said, I haven't seen it in oh, a long it's... time, but I, I remember when I've seen it in the past, I have been like, this is a sort of. It's not even a saccharine overload. It's an overload of something. Oh, it is. And yet, oh, dude. I find it very, I find it very pleasurable. It is, it, it is the saccharine version of chemotherapy. Is what it is. It actually <laughs> there's so much saccharin in there that it actually kills off your ability to have any taste whatsoever. It just kills it off. You just you walk out of fucking Moulin Rouge, and I swear to God, it's like wow, all that, all that, all my taste cancer is gone. I have nothing but a hundred percent pure kitsch just flowing through my body. I'm going to go watch some Liberace specials. I'm going to go appreciate some Jeff Koons sculpture. I'm just, I'm going to love all of this. Let's, you know what is kind of great about Baz Luhrmann in general, though? I'd completely forgotten this until recently when I saw Tom Ewing's popular post about mm-hmm. it. I completely forgot that Baz Luhrmann did everybody's free-to-wear sunscreen song. Oh, yeah, right. <sighs> and and I, I had... If I had remembered that, I would never have gone see Moulin Rouge even, because that song is, it just provokes terrible, violent anger in me. It is, right? Like, it's, it's a, I can't believe that was ever a thing. I can't believe people bought it. I can't believe, you know, we allowed that man to have any sort of career after that. What year was that? Like, 99, maybe? 98? That is way too late. That is too late, you know? Let's see. Tell me, internet. Um, Nineteen ninety-eight. Right. Yeah, and it, it was. Uh, everyone thought it was Kurt Vonnegut, and it wasn't. Yes. See, that's that's why that. I was kind of like. That's why I was like, this has to be before the internet, right? Because I sort of feel like that that goddamn song, which basically was an internet. I was like, it was an internet meme before there was an internet. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It was it was the email that everyone passed yeah, around. Exactly, and then it became a song. You know what I mean. And so for me, there's kind of like that concept of sort of just click and share naivete. I'm like that existed before the internet, right? But I I completely yeah. forget there's some hardened skin that we didn't always have. You know this kind of hard-boiled egg-like demeanor surrounding, 
<laughs> you know, it's it's true. Actually, about that, the you saw that the were you paying attention to social media today when the Star Wars trailer came out? Uh, not really. It took maybe a minute before people started pissing on that trailer. Oh, really? It was amazing. Like, it, I felt like it was the fastest. Because it was the same people, is the thing. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was the fastest. I really like this, but like me, let me take the piss out of it. Switch. Ever. Yeah, but... Uh, but that I but I kind of feel like that's the thing. I feel like we. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like I, I right. the, these days, like that's like. But the Star Wars one was so fast. I was like, holy yeah, shit! Exactly. That was that was amazingly fast. <laughs> but yeah, but back then, uh, it, uh, the full name of the of the song was. Are you ready? Oh for this? God, yes. Baz Luhrmann presents everybody's free open brackets to wear sunscreen. Close brackets. The sunscreen claw song. Open brackets. Class of ninety nine. Close brackets. <laughs> That's the full title of the song. Also, everyone who's listening to this and has never heard the song, go to YouTube, look it up, and uh, try not destroy your computer afterwards. It's it it is like maybe for those people who are listening to us who are you know I don't know who are twenty now and therefore somehow missed hearing this back in nineteen eighty nine. Jeff, I swear, I swear to God, you think you remember it? If you listen to it now, you really will just be like, "Oh, it's so much worse." Oh, God, I just yeah, it's I so much worse. It. It's it's amazingly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I I I remember loathing it, loathing it because uh, it was just so. You know, I don't know. It, 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 I'm not going to be able to do it justice. Um, oh, no, you can't. That's the thing. If, if you have not heard it or if you haven't heard it in a long time, which I must be everyone. I can't, I can't believe people regularly re-listen to it. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Somebody's <laughs> like, I listen to it every week. Exactly. It's, it's my theme song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go on YouTube it right now to hear it because you, you can't explain it and also if you think you remember it i promise you you don't yeah it actually sounds worse than you think you remember it sounding better. imagine imagine for people who haven't heard it imagine a song crafted by somebody with ridiculous amounts of cocaine who thinks that the best song ever released was the art of noises paranoia featuring max headroom Wow, deep cut, Jeff. Thank you. I thought so too. I thought you'd appreciate that since you're a Max Headroom. <laughs> I, 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 that was my favorite uh, art of noise. Song. Really? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, I, I remember. I mean, when did that come out? That's got to be eighty four. Yeah, something like. That. So yeah, it could have been like nine or ten, and I remember at the time being like, "This is fucking amazing." Mind you, I have. I am a terrible case. I liked Jesus Jones back in the day. Take that with a grain of salt, everyone. Really. <laughs> that's that's okay. Never with a grain of salt. I like you. Okay, so okay. I own this, this is I, a great I, I subject, you. particularly since we yeah. were rapidly. I think everyone's caught on that we have not read any comics, maybe ever. No, I, no, I have to. I've, I'm kidding. But but I read so many. But, anyway. but now I'm obsessed, Graham. What is the most humiliating thing that you can confess to, like liking music-wise as a kid? Is it Jesus Jones, or is there like worse? God. Um... It probably is Jesus Jones. Really? Hmm. Like, part of me wants to say they might be giants because I loved Flood. But I also, like, these days I still think Flood is a good album. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Flood's a good album. Um, yeah. I, uh, fuck, I don't I know. I mean, Jesus Jones is bad, but you know what I mean? That Jesus sort of... Jesus Jones is the one that... Yeah. yeah, but that's just, like, Jesus Jones was also, you know, in 1989... 
Jesus Jones was maybe not cool, but you know, lots of people liked it. It's sure, not, it well, see, this is like, it. I, there I, are like, forty. Like, it's very much like I was. You know, it was me and everyone else. Well, see, but that's fair. I, but I, and that's what I'm saying is, is like that's okay because yeah. there's those yeah, things. There's got to be worse. Yeah. That's that's what like I'm part of me. Part of me really wants to be snarky and say, you know, REM after monster. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but that's not so the I, same thing. I I, I I am the I am the person who thought that New Adventures in Hi-Fi was a better album than Monster. Right, but you know that's not the same thing. I do, I really don't know why. What what is yours? I don't know. I've been trying to because th- as soon as you said Jesus Jones, I was going to make a joke and be like, "That's nothing, Graham. I loved Howard Jones." But see, I. <laughs> that again you know you're like howard jones well, okay but first off technically i didn't love howard jones but i'm sort of trying to talk about you know that thing of like when you're a kid and you've got an album and you listen to it over and over again because you think it's awesome but and and it is that thing like the, if you think about it there's 40 million people who bought huey lewis's in the news huey lewis and the news's sports Four. right Exclusion. but yeah. and they never admit it and and that is okay but i think there is something hilarious about being someone like uh my like i can totally whenever my brothers mention something that they think is great um as a music thing i remember the stuff from the it's i always have to bite my tongue and be like yeah but you thought hollow notes were fantastic in the man eater <laughs> you know what i mean like it's kind of that thing of like well here's so uh flood is the first album i bought for mm-hmm. myself and before that i was basically going off of the stuff that was in the house mm-hmm. um and that was like the beatles and stuff like that you know like my dad was very much into huey lewis mm-hmm. And I and I remember adoring. Uh, is it called Back in Time? Yes. Not the main theme from Back to the Future, but the one that's placed in the end credits. Oh. I remember loving that a lot. Mm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to think what I bought after Flood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think what did I then spend my money right. on? And it's it's all stuff that I'm like, eh, but not you know really embarrassing. Right. Well, I see because I'm totally like you're not going deep enough then because I and I can't blame you or else you have better taste because <laughs> I'm sort of like because because even like back to my taste like bef- like in junior high like I remember um, uh, joining the Columbia Record Club and getting basically all the albums of ELO which you can pretty much defend yourself to this day on. Yeah, I, no, I, right. I, I would, I would, def- yeah, exactly. I, I would defend you for like a, the first half of ELO. Yeah, sure. Least, but yeah. you know, the second half, you know, and then Billy Joel, who again, people really fall on either side of that equation. And I totally get it. But like, but if I uh, go, wait, f- where do you start to Billy Joel right now? Uh, I, you know, honestly, the only thing of his that I can actually go back and listen to is uh songs in the attic his live album that's uh all of the stuff from his first two albums that were overproduced that he did it as a live recording yeah that's kind of fascinating to me because i i've never really dug billy Mm -hmm. joel um until i heard the alec baldwin interview with Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. and there was something about that where i was like huh I'd like to listen to this guy's music if it wasn't fact that the production drives me fucking insane. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, his production is is problematic and gets more so. But there's a few cuts, definitely that. 
I, I have to admit, I do like songs from Italian restaurants. Oh, yeah. Unironically, uh, mm-hmm. I genuinely yeah, like yeah, songs yeah. from Italian yeah. No, Well, exactly. So this is the thing. Like, Songs from the Attic is the only album that I can still sort of kind of listen to, but I can still sing, I think, just about everything off The Stranger, uh, Glass Houses, um, The Nylon Curtain. Um, there's another one in there that I'm missing. So, you know. Listeners, for our Christmas episode, <laughs> Jeff is going to... Perform Billy Joel songs. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, that's right. It's like, here's a little ditty I call, tell her about it. Actually, that's, that whole Innocent Man era is, is where the love affair with Mr. Joel ended pretty abruptly. But isn't that, isn't that also when the, the 1980s production and his weird, I am going to do 50s do up with 1980s production thing really kicked in? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, but I mean, but it, how do I put it? It's not ju- the great thing about it is is that for me it's not just the production. It's a little bit of the I don't know, you know, like how do I put it? Like there there's the the guy who tries too hard, which is pretty much what Billy Joel should be called, like you know, it like, you know, instead of the velvet fog or something, it's Billy Joel quotes the guy who tries too hard. He when he was <laughs> sort of an underdog um that was that suited him it it was it became forgivable once and the whole an innocent man album which was made when he's like married to his supermodel wife who really does seem like a sweetheart I, i have to say um it's his i'm on top of the world and i'm trying too hard kind of thing it is it's to me it's just extremely kind of off-putting it's it's basically billy joel's i won album you know what i mean it's that thing of billy joel musically is doing what the comic book geeks on the internet are doing whenever a superhero movie trailer gets released now you know what i mean it's a little bit of the i won this is my world i own it kind of thing and it's it's excruciating that now and it was excruciating then when it was just billy joel doing it <laughs> you know so oh my god i feel like it should be your comeback to any comic book geek from now <laughs> this wasn't even cute when billy joel did it in the 80s <laughs> I, I i'm sure they were like I have I have no idea what you're talking about, old man. I don't exactly. I don't even know. Billy who Exactly. I don't care what the director of The Exorcist was doing back then. You know. <laughs> so So but I do oh, have stuff man. that is more embarrassing. I do have shit that is easily more embarrassing. I, I am I am honestly I just can't remember. I'm sure I did. I just can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Because it's sort of Because I'm like I used to obsessively tape things off the, mm-hmm. the radio and I just can't remember what any of it really? is. Really? You just don't have... Is it just because... It's probably just, it's one I of those crucial differences between you and me. You don't actively sit back and go, ah, now it's time for Jeff's mortification. Five minutes where he looks back <laughs> on an know. event from I, his past. Every day I do think about your mortification. <laughs> yeah, we have that in common. I just don't remember the, the stuff I like. I just... Yeah, I, I, there was a point, obviously, where my memory was like, nope, you're not going to need to remember, like, that petrol emotion anymore, you know? Oh, God. They, they were, or Mega City 4 there or all was those such a great. There was a great moment. Edie and I were eating at a restaurant, and the Jesus and Mary chain came on, and I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that I don't even have to pretend to 
treat these guys seriously anymore. What a <laughs> fucking relief. What a bunch of slow what? music playing douchebags. Douchebags. The Jesus and they Mary Jane. Stuff. Awful. Some they good they stuff. did maybe two good songs and then it's it's just they it's that weird parallel universe. They were just supposed to be the next Aztec camera, but somehow they hit it huge. <laughs> oh, wow. And then they were everywhere. Oh my god, Jeff, Scritty Politi. Do you remember Scritty oh, Politi? Did oh, they make over to America? Scritty Politi. <laughs> just when you said Aztec camera, I was like, Scritty Politi. <laughs> Orange juice? Oh God, I don't think I don't think I I I heard the name Scritty Politi. If I ever heard any of it, oh, I blocked myself. again, listeners, I know Jeff. Um, you YouTube Scritty Politi. Uh, I wasn't masculine, but my sister was. My older sister. Oh was. really? Uh, oh yeah, really. And she was also to Billy Joel. Interestingly enough, me and your sister a lot in common. I'm going to be like this Scritty Politi is pretty awesome. Exactly. 1980s me thinks Scritty Politi was great. Yeah, yeah. I'll put them in my C90. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most, this is the most off we've done uh, a podcast since the Britpop episode. Well, but the Britpop episode just kept going because you actually had something, God help you, that you had to try and teach me. This, my friend, is still a digression wrapped inside the Wolverine, the Hugh Jackman movie. So, so it is! Get back to Wolverine! So, anyway, <laughs> Hugh Jackman, he did, um, shit, I'm gonna lose the name of it again. He did The Prestige, but he also did, uh, The Fountain. You know what I mean? So that idea of like, oh shit, the fans yeah, are not see. So that's what I mean. That's kind of like a prestige, like doing. He's like trying to do serious movies and even serious fantasy movies for mixed results. Anyway, so the Wolverine, which is basically like Hugh Jackman's dry run for Prisoners, which is simultaneously is easily a far better movie than the Wolverine, although not arguably its last 10 minutes turn it into a terrible movie and Hugh Jackman technically is not he's 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 he is what he is let's put it that way he's absolutely convincing uh in prisoners well not quite i don't know how to describe it Hugh Jackman is basically the Billy Joel of performers he's the guy who tries too hard and thank god he's never really kind of had his like it's all about me moment he hasn't released his innocent man album that you know in movie form but that being said the wolverine starts off as a terrible piece of shit and becomes an absolutely a hilariously unbearable piece of shit because it's the hollywood version of trying to tell the chris claremont frank miller wolverine one through four but also oh actually it takes a strong dose from brian k vaughn edward rizzo's logan three issue miniseries which i have to say right after the wolverine i picked up marvel unlimited and read all three issues of it and i was like huh i can't tell if that's a bigger piece of shit than the wolverine movie or not like because and excuse my language, I've been reading about fecal transplants lately. Anyway, uh, the the Logan, which is the three-issue miniseries, did you ever read it, Graham? No, but I uh, it sticks out in my mind because I'm fairly sure that Brian K. Vaughan has himself described it as a piece Yeah, of he is absolutely right, I have to say. He is not just barely – he is a modest guy. He's not just being modest. Whatever the fuck that was, I do not know if he was writing that for a Marvel showcase, if that was back when he was trying to break in, if he had an unfortunate short-lived addiction to cocaine, if he really thought Eduardo Rizzo was going to nail it. 
but he has half that idea of like, well, what happens if you put Logan in Hiroshima uh, in World War II and he sees the atomic bomb going off and it's tied to Logan losing his virginity and Hollywood gets a hold <laughs> of that and is like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, see, see, that's the Brian K. Vaughn spin there that is genius. And so you get this idea that, that Hollywood is like looking at that, looking at this, let's bring it all together. And so what's great is the Wolverine becomes a movie that is all about the one dude's family, the dude that he saves at Hiroshima, who's like another soldier who tries to free him. He drags him into his Wolverine bunker. And then when the atomic bomb goes off, they both survive. Even though like it's insane, like how much Wolverine knows about an atomic bomb for like no reason. It's kind of completely unexplained as far as I know. Anyway, he's long lived. He's, you know, he's had time to read. Well, he's, it's kind of that thing. Well, you know, they were saying off atom bombs back in the 1800s. So anyway, he, he protects this guy, this guy, maybe in the X-Men universe, they were Chad, huh? Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. no, uh, seriously. We don't know what they're Dude, doing in it's, Canada. It's going to be great. It's going to be that's where Apocalypse comes in with the next movie and ties it in. And um, so you have this thing with uh, with Wolverine saving this guy. Then it's many years later. He's out in the woods hanging out with bears, pooping in the woods, and basically hoping to die. Like he – you know – Jean Grey keeps appearing to him in his dreams and telling him that she misses him, loves him, and please come over to the other side. So he is, he's got a heavy death wish, but he's convinced that he's not going to kill anyone. I think this is all supposed to take place after the events of X-Men, um, the, the shitty Brett Ratner movie, as opposed to Wolverine. Yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it's yeah. uh, what's it called? Last Stand. Yeah, Last Stand. Whereas, like, the other shitty Wolverine movie that comes in, there's another one that comes in between that that takes place before it, right? X-Men Origins Wolverine, maybe? Uh, uh, yeah, wait, it goes, the continuity goes, first class, mm-hmm. Origins Wolverine, mm-hmm. X-Men, mm-hmm. X2, Last Stand, Wolverine, Days of Future Past. Right. And by Wolverine, you I mean think. the Wolverine, right? Yeah, okay. yeah sorry. Yeah, that's the right. Wolverine. Yeah. Def- definitive article It Wolverine. is great, the fact that he's, oh, so bad. So anyway, so there's this really, um, so there's this thing where in order to make the whole plot work, Logan goes back to Japan. Mariko is the um, granddaughter of the guy that Logan has saved back in World War II. Uh, Yukio, uh, the thief, is now Mariko's adopted sister, uh, who has the mutant power to see into the, can see people's, the day of people's deaths or something like that. She can see people's deaths. And then to make things worse, they have to jam in, I think, uh, the Silver Samurai is basically now Mariko's dad. Uh, and then to just to make it even worse, like, it's just bad. So basically what happens, the great thing about the Wolverine is, it becomes a movie that is entirely about this fucked up family because it kind of has to in order to be something thematic. Like you throw all those characters in and then you're telling this big story about this Japanese family that, you know, has been sort of torn apart because you've got the six characters in there and they sort of now have to make sense to one another. And it's that classic case of the screenwriters like – 
trying to figure out a way to make like a movie that makes makes all the ingredients make sense. And in order to do that, they end up making a movie in which the lead character is completely extraneous. So it's awesome watching Hugh Jackman basically get shoulder to side out of his own movie. I mean, because he's in it the whole time. He's the guy where he's, you know, he, his whole, like he loses his healing power and then he's running around being shot and trying to defend Mariko while she's on the run from all these like ninja dudes. Oh, right. She's got a ninja boyfriend thing, which is just one other of thing. Of course she has a ninja of boyfriend. Of course she does. Of course she does. It's, it's an American action movie. Right. It takes place in Japan. Yeah. Statistically, <laughs> right, there, right, exactly. There is a ninja boyfriend. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because the 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 number of ninja to Japanese people is basically three to one. It would be two to one, but you have to keep in mind one of those other non ninja people is you know from a samurai lineage and walks around with like sharpened samurai and, and, swords and talks about honor all the time. And the third is American. Uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The, and the third is Hugh Jackman. You know, so, <laughs> so it's, I, it was, it was a huge piece of shit of the movie. And by the time the silver samurai actually comes up, the huge metal antimantium samurai thing that's like cutting off Logan, Lo, Logan's claws and stuff. Oh, it is, it is, boy, let me tell you, that movie smacked of Avi Arad. That's how bad that movie was. By the end of it, it was just like, what are you people even thinking? What is- in all seriousness, Averad is not connected to that movie at all, is he? I, like you're you're just using it because he's off with Sony. I could be. I just assumed that he was sort of halfway in on this one too, because it just smacks of his. No, I I, I really want to say that he's, he's probably not. not. He's probably not. So it's, it's like, I, I genuinely love the idea that Averad has become a shorthand. I hope so. This is a superhero film. And it's, and it's total shit for very specific reasons. And again, a lot of it is that classic, like, we're going to throw too many characters in there. But it's, oh, it was just, oh, it was so bad. Is Avi Rod not in here at all? I'm good. I'm trying to look. Avi like, Rod's not there. I'm oh, an IMDb. There's you're no right. Oh, my God. Yeah, because he's fucked off to uh, Sony. He's where... fucking up the Spider-Man movies. Well, yeah, the Spider-Man films are are apparently in a terrible tale. Oh, my God. Well, see, that's it. I was like, this is the worst movie I've seen since Spider-Man 2. Like, it really was. Like, (laughs) I've seen some real shit. Anyway, so the Lego movie, though, is fabulous. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, I I thought you saw it when it was out in theaters. No, I wanted to see it, sort of. But... Oh, it's I I think it's really really good. Although it's another movie, I'm not sure I want to see again. Uh, yeah, I can see that almost. Um, I th- I, I it's a movie I very much enjoy at, at mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. but also think it's a movie that I see once and have fun memories of because if I see it again, I will immediately start picking holes. Well, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of in jokes, so I think there's a lot of stuff that I, I definitely felt while I was watching it like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm missing the first time around in a way. Um, and yet it's more the idea of that's a movie that is so well done. It doesn't it it like they're going to have to be goddamn geniuses to pull off a sequel. You know what I mean? Like the Lego movie. Never mind three. Oh yeah. I mean, that is just really that. Although I was very, did you see them talking about the Lego Batman spinoff? Yes. Doing? And that's, and they're, they're just like, we're doing all the Batmans. And that is a movie I want to yeah. see. The, the, by far, everyone had told me that Lego Batman and the Lego movie was great, but he is, it is 
fucking great. I really have to say that was brilliantly done. And it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, my God, I hope Graham sees this because this totally is. Like, if you hadn't seen it, I was going to beg you to see it just for Lego <laughs> Batman. Yeah, I know. I, I really, really liked yeah. it. I, I really did enjoy yeah. it. But I again... I think once is enough. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can see that. I, I don't know. It's really hard for me to see movies twice nowadays. I don't know why. I used to be Mr. Like, you know, as part of the Star Wars generation. It's like, okay, let's see this like eight times. And I just, I don't, I don't really have that. Did you ever have that? Were you, were, did you ever see any movie more uh, like once I, really or twice? I've seen movies twice in the theater, but normally – not because I loved them so much as much as circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, I went, I'd see a movie and then someone I'd be with would want to see the movie, so I'd see it again type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely watched movies multiple times on DVD and things. Right. I, I, as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, right, because Graham McMillan is the only person who's seen Charade in the double digits or something. So Yeah, and, and also, like, the Scott Pilgrim movie, I've seen a truly embarrassing amount of times. So do you own the disc on that? Yeah, uh, the Blu-ray or the DVD? Uh, the the both because it was when you got the Blu-ray, you got the DVD. Oh, I see. Have you listened to the supplementary material on that? Have you Have you checked it? Yes. Out? And how is it? Yes. I it's both really good and not as much as I wanted. Really, there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes footage type mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. Uh, but the commentary is uh, all right. Hmm. The commentary is more just like, hey, we're watching the movie. Here's an in-joke, as opposed to informative, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, but there's there's a bunch of commentary tracks. Yeah. I want to say there's maybe three. I was, I was about to say. I thought there was something like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there's a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the movies I've seen most in my life mm-hmm. are probably uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. Charade, mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, and the uh, Shared Deputy Serrano de Bergerac. Wow. That last which, one was like which, out of nowhere. Like, huh? What? I, no. In in the when that came out, I I was obsessed with it. Huh. I I I loved it, and I I watched it a lot in the nineties. That was the same time where I was also watching Double Life of Veronique and the Three Colors movies, mm-hmm. I, I, almost nonstop. Wow. Wow. Uh, and like reading Vim Vendors, even though to this day I've still not seen more than like two Vim Vendors movies, <laughs> but I would read his books of essays nonstop. <laughs> well, I have to say, you probably got the best deal out of that. Uh... Well, that's just it. There was this, because I, I, I got the first Vim Vendors book of essays um, in a bookstore, and I honestly could not tell you why. Um, I'd never seen any of his films. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there was just something about this. Is I was like, this looks interesting. I apparently have the money to buy this, even though I've never seen any of these movies. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I was like, this is, this is amazing. I'll read all his other books of essays because he had like three or something. Right. Uh, and I read all of them. I was like, no, I should probably watch his movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I made it through like Paris, Texas and uh, Wings of Desire. There you go. And then what? What's the sequel of Wings of Desire? Oh, see, I was going to say it's so then Hotel the Rwanda. Yeah, that was the one where I was like, and I'm done. <laughs> I have to say, maybe this is something you could pitch for the Hollywood Reporter is like five people who ruin their careers by drinking with Bono, you know, because <laughs> I don't know who the other four is, but they're out there. And certainly you can have Vim Vendors as one of them. Oh, yeah. Vim Vendors was definitely someone yeah. who, you know, his his YouTube career. Yeah. His YouTube uh, enabled career was was not good. Yeah, for him. That, that did him nothing but severe irreparable harm. 
um, 22 Jump Street, which we saw uh, because it's by the Lego movie guys. I was like, oh, shit, you know, and of course it finally hit Redbox. Um, I enjoyed that, too. Actually, I have to say, I think I saw something like say like maybe Abhe didn't dig it or something, but, uh, but I, uh, I, I did like that 22 jump street. I liked the first one. So the second one was kind of, um, it was really predisposed to like it. Yeah, I think so. But I, I also, I have to say there was a lot in there that, um, uh, well, apart from the things that are actually really funny and the fact that it's kind of like, I just think, I think Channing Tatum is also one of those classic like guys you can't help but root for because they because of whatever innate charm. That said, I say here's the thing: I disagree because I've seen GI Joe too. Oh yeah, right. Well, see, that's it. I've seen GI Joe one, and I hated that dude. GI Joe one was terrible, and I keep wanting to see oh, GI Joe, Joe, Joe two is on Netflix. Yes, I know. I know. That, oh, I, I, know I know. And Jeff, you should tune in. Oh no, you should tune in because when the because I think The Rock is also a fairly charming actor. Right when you've got Channing Tatum and The Rock, and your first thought is actually, I have to switch this movie off. Right. Yeah, then you know you're on a loser. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So Twenty Two Jump Street, really funny, uh, some hilarious stuff. I'm taking from your utter silence. You did not see it or Twenty One Jump Street. I, I I have not seen either. And here's like, I want to see both. I just haven't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of I kind of see that because you actually, uh, for whatever reason. You have to currently. You kind of have to go out of your way to see it, unless Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, that's just it. Like if if either of them show up on Netflix, I'm sure I'm going to end up watching. Exactly. But the 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 minimum effort it would take me to go to like Movie Madness or something and pick them up is just a little too too much. much. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And then it was interesting. The uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Kill Die Repeat thing. I heard a lot of people saying really good things about it, and great reviews. People were were. Going wild yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people who liked it a lot, and I have to say it is um, it it was interesting. It was an interesting film to me in that it started off surprisingly to me just surprising and enjoyable and smart. And and how do I put it? The thing about Tom Cruise that kills me is Tom Cruise is so he's such a smart dude but he has this unbelievably um huge obstacle to his movie career which he has to convince you that you want to still watch tom cruise in a movie you know what i mean and so there's his last couple of movies are these really great measured arguments like again just everyone knows how insane i am about the last mission impossible movie directed by brad bird where i'm convinced that Tom Cruise actually went out like, you know, disguised as an ordinary dude, went out and listened to everybody, you know, kind of like Zeus or one of the Greek gods, listened to everyone in the cafes talking about him and was like, okay, right, I know what I have to do now. I have to make a movie in which I'm going to, like, I'm there to bring the Tom Cruise, but I'll have everyone else do the stuff that everyone hates me doing. And then we're set. And that didn't work. And then you get to Edge of Tomorrow where he's like, okay, I'm going to do a Tom Cruise movie where I start off as the anti-Tom Cruise. And then the movie... I become Tom Cruise. Yes, that is what Edge of Tomorrow is. It is a... Tom, by the end of the time of that movie, Tom Cruise, even like two thirds of the way through, it's about how Tom Cruise becomes Tom Cruise. And it is insane in that way. And that was... But that was like the selling point of the movie. Right. 
I remember when it was coming out, and it it was Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise is doing interviews where he's like, "No, I've never done a role like this before. I start off, get this, as a coward, yeah. and I have to learn to be the hero." Yeah. And you know, I've read the book, and I love the book. Mm. I love, love, really? love. The you book. read the novel? Um, huh. Yeah, I got sent the novel. Uh, uh, I want to say two thousand eight, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, and I'm fairly sure I got sent the novel. Because of David Brothers, but I could be mm-hmm. wrong. Someone definitely was like, because it was just after io9 had launched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And someone who knew people at Viz mm-hmm. was like, "This dude's writing for Gawker. Right. Uh, they've just launched a science fiction blog. You should get this novel to them." And the reason I remember this is at the first io9 San Diego panel, mm-hmm. we all had to be like, "What is great that none of you have heard of?" Mm-hmm. And that was my thing. Mm, mm-hmm. And I was like, there's a plot novel that's just coming out. God, all you need is kill, and it's really great, and this is the plot. And everyone was like, that sounds dumb. <laughs> like, everyone. You know, right. and, and I, like, you know, Charlie and Anne on the panel yeah. are like, that sounds dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when the film came out, people were like, oh my God, I wanted to be like, all of you shut the fuck up. You should have. You should have just <laughs> linked, linked to the, cause I'm sure that video, the audio ended up somewhere. No, 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 that it, it didn't. Oh, really? It, it's, it's nowhere. Oh. Um, but no, but I, I read the novel. And so when, uh, Tom Cruise is like, you, you guys, it's crazy. I play a coward. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. I know. <laughs> uh, I was just kind of like, oh God, this, this, like, I know everyone is loving this film, but this sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because it is – I only read a couple of um, chapters of the manga when it was popping up. You know, they were putting it in uh, Shonen Jump Alpha, and I didn't I, – I sort of trailed off after a while, which was kind of unfortunate because I was liking what I was reading well enough. But – there. okay, so yeah, so this is the idea. Tom Cruise really was and, – and honestly, he is kind of, he's great as a coward. Tom Cruise is way closer to Daffy Duck than I would have realized, which makes perfect sense, <laughs> you know, because sort of – this is apparently my big thing. Because he is despicable. He's despicable because he's, he's the try-too-hard guy. But once you throw in Daffy Duck's vanity and cowardice um, and Tom Cruise's overcommitment to overplaying whatever he's doing, it's great. But – but of course, the whole movie is literally about how Tom Cruise becomes Tom Cruise because by by being stuck in the same scenario again and again and again and again and again, and because he's you know way smarter than you would think and give him credit for, he you know he learns how to make the most of the situation and yagada 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 yagada. Um, but as it goes on, of course, he you know he becomes he becomes Tom Cruise. He becomes this guy who knows everything, and it's fascinating to me. Is like that's kind of this Scientology thing. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things that I think is really weird is it struck me that that what he did with All You Need Is Kill is it ends up becoming with Tom Cruise in the role. It's it's a little bit like John Travolta's Battlefield Earth a little bit in that it is it seems like a super, super Scientology ish movie um, wrapped in sort of a traditional, like, oh, hey, it's just a big sci-fi extravaganza, that's all, you know. But the idea that what the Scientologists have that, you know, you're sort of chained to this one Earth and, 
you know, thanks to all the hydrogen bombs blowing up and you experience your life again and again and again and again and again. Um, and it's not until the brilliance of, you know, letting L. Ron Hubbard sleep with your wife that you begin to unlock your true cosmic persona. You know, it's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking about I'm Scientology sorry. now. You're, I'm not talking about yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Scientology <laughs> no, is so, awesome. Your, your definition of Scientology is amazing. <laughs> So, so yeah, so Edge, Edge of Tomorrow is kind of, it, I don't know, it was just, it was one of those things. And again, part of it may have been, I may have been biased because I was kind of going along with it. And then Edie was like, like, it was like the last 30, 20, 30 minutes or something like that. And I was kind of like, uh, I looked at Edie and it was this, have you ever watched someone when they're watching a movie and you realize their hands are around their own throat? Like you realize like that's not like a good (laughs) scenario when they're sort of like trying to, you know, they're just hanging out. They've got, they've got time to to strangle themselves. That generally isn't a good sign. I, I, my rule of thumb is if it's going around their, like, just like they're kind of like, maybe I can, if I need to, I can choke myself or even that just kind of like, well, I'm stuck in a seat. I honestly thought you were going to say if it's going around their neck, it's not going around mine. So it's a good thing. (laughs) Oh, Graham. Like I would say that. That's, that's such a Graham McMillan line. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, it turned kind of terrible. I mean, there's always Tom Cruise is so smart about all of the pieces and things that he assembles. It's kind of interesting that he can't really always make things good. And some people thought it was great. And I'm sure it's better than Oblivion, which I just, I, I is on HBO and I refuse to watch. Because that looks excruciating. This is why it's good that I don't have HBO or anything like that. Because I would just watch all these terrible Oh, it's movies. great. It's really a great... It's weird for me somehow that HBO service, maybe because they tell you when the movies are going on and off, and because they... they this, a lot of... And what's great is there's usually more than one bite at the apple. If you have the service, because we've had the service for almost a year, the Wolverine debuted, played for a month, disappeared... Came back, and came yeah, back. and it's done that once or twice since. So I kind of caught it on the fourth go around. That kind of like, oh right, I. Well, I was thinking like the Wolverine's a while ago, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it not? Is it just last? Yeah, year? I think it was just last year. I think it was just last year. Wow. Okay. Or, or or it was like, I don't know. Probably yeah, I don't know what it was. Like something close to to two years ago, maybe, and uh, and then hit HBO like six months after that. So I don't know. In any event. Um, it, it was, it, where something like the Lego movie just hit HBO Go, you know? Um, yeah. Well, the Lego movie's definitely the summer. The Wolverine apparently came out July 2013. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I think I described that wrong, but I want to say it hit the, sur- it hit HBO Go maybe six months ago, but maybe closer to nine months ago. It was, it was a pretty fast turnaround. I remember being like, oh, I should watch that. See, I should watch more films. This week, what I've been watching primarily has been Helix, which is a sci-fi series that just mm, showed mm-hmm, up on mm-hmm. Netflix, right. which is fascinating in that it honestly feels like a Mad Libs <laughs> sci-fi TV series. <laughs> really? And, 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 and very much in a... Like, it, I watched the whole thing, so it, it's, you know, it's not like I'm saying that in sense of, like, it's unwatchable. I watched all 13 episodes. but Do um, people have to go is... and leave and have lots of conferences with their butt, and then suddenly there's, like, a summons from their giant wiener? 
<laughs> well, that's I, – I don't know. Maybe you do Mad Libs differently on your side of the pond, Graham, <laughs> but let me tell you. Um, it is ostensibly uh, somewhere between sort of medical and slash body horror mm-hmm. um, and conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. But what it really is is what if we do The Thing, mm-hmm. the John Carpenter movie? Mm-hmm. And cross it with The Walking Dead uh, and The X-Files. Potentially I, – I think that that's potentially a very good way – good mix-up. You know what I mean? Well, that's, that's what I say, right? So, you know, there comes a point where you're like, oh, I totally know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I'm still – like, I'm still watching. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's the weirdest, trashy, will not change your life, but is remarkably watchable thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, you know, when that shows up on Netflix, it's great because, like, if right. every episode is 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. You know? So you're like, I can just watch an episode and my buy-in is actually really minimal. Right. Right. Which is perfect for me because, like, finding two hours mm-hmm. to watch a movie or whatever. See, that's the weird thing reason, about movies. Problematic. Exactly. That's the weird thing about movies. We watch so few of them because it's kind of like, eh, oh, that's the other movie that I watched, which is going to sound like it goes along with all of these. Il Quattro Volte. Which is just like that's going to be the movie of your life. I I I think everyone always goes for a Wolverine El Quattro Volte. Don't they? Bill. They really do. We watched one one night and the other the next night. And uh, for people who haven't seen El Quattro Volte, it it is it's pretty great. It's um, it's a very strange movie that is shot. It, uh, it's wordless. Um, it is mesmerizing and it is genuinely strange. Uh, and if you, if you like watching movies where it's just beautiful to look at, like it's a beautiful sort wait, of mesmerizing wait. movie. Are, are we thinking about the same film? Like when you say it's beautiful to look at, it's pretty much just beautiful to look at because there's no dialogue, right? Or am I thinking of a different No, film? no, no, no. Uh, uh, first off, props to you, Graham. Uh, there is no dialogue, but there is, um, I, I, I hey, I know lots of, when someone goes, it's a beautiful foreign film. And you don't have to read subtitles. It sticks in my brain, Jeff. <laughs> um, but it's but it has a. So have you seen it or no? I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. No. So but, but I some I I cannot for the life of me remember who someone was like you should really watch mm-hmm. it like a lot, which is why I actually do know what it oh, is. Okay. Like right. so someone was heavily recommending it to me, and I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I I think although I could be wrong, and and please. Please forgive me. I think I want to say it's it was what not Stephen Williamson who might have recommended it on Twitter to me anyway. After I talked about liking, um, oh shit, the movie whose name has now escaped me, Sweetgrass. That's the three hour movie documentary about uh, dudes about cowboy sheep herders taking sheep over a mountain pass. That's gorgeously shot. Pretty minimal on the dialogue. I don't know if it's actually three hours. Maybe it's only two, but is gorgeous. And some, I think Stephen, I apologize if it was someone else, was like, yeah, you should check out El Quattro Volte because it starts off with a goat herder herding his goats. Uh, but the story goes to some insanely weird places and story should be put in quotes. It's almost like us. <laughs> the experience. Yeah. Well, because the first story is kind of about the shepherd, but there's no dialogue. The second story is about a goat. And then the third story is about a tree. So. I was just about to say, I, for, I honestly, for some reason, thought it was 
like there wasn't narrative as such, mm-hmm. like it wasn't stories. And then I was like, wait, what does that, what does the title mean? I just looked up and the title apparently means four, four stories. <laughs> so, so there you go. There are, not a laser story, there are apparently four of them. There are, there are four stories. There, there, there is. What the fourth one is though, I think is, um, well, actually, this might be a fine time to start talking about Pax Americana, actually, because... Uh... Oh, I was I was wondering if we're going to talk about <laughs> comics, never mind Pax Americana. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay, so so what did you think of Pax Americana? What did I think of Pax Americana? What, I, I, I loved it. I thought that it was hugely, hugely enjoyable, and it, for me, was a very strange... Um, well, for one thing, I thought it was, it was, uh, a little bit like I remember when, um, some of the pre-multiversity, uh, interviews were coming out with Morrison and he sort of talked about the Watchmen piece a lot, but he also kind of specifically talked about how with multiversity, he was like, yeah, I really decided to make it so that it would be. Um, kind of a piece where people would understand what I was saying, essentially. One of the things that I think is really interesting to me about Pax Americana is that Morrison packs in a ton of really interesting thematic material. Like, it is such a dense little layered piece, and that's what I love about it. I'm not really... I'm I'm fascinated to see how it's going to play out with the larger themes of multiversity itself. That actually I'm a, in in a weird way a little more dubious about. Well, it it's, it reads very much like it's separated from the everything that's come before mm-hmm. it, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It feels complete in and of itself. And on maybe seven three reads eight three reads, mm-hmm. part of me was thinking, what if this is the the origin of this of the larger story. Mm. What if because Adam is whatever happens to Captain Adam, mm-hmm. because we know he's obsessed with comic books, what if he is the origin of the mm. comic that infects everyone else? Right. Right. That that could be. That actually would make a lot of sense. I, I on the one hand I believe that A, the um that, that yeah, that it's going to be the concluding issue of multiversity will shine some light and it will give at least elliptically answer it, these questions, but maybe explicitly. But there's also a thing I think I feel like someone else maybe pointed this out is the idea that the one of the reasons why Pax Americana uh, feels differently is it does not have that it's so much more circumspect about the whole idea of the external invasion. And in fact, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 you could make an argument. It's not present. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's, it's not only not explicit. It might not even be there. Well, but see, this is it. I think that it, the idea is that it is there, that Morrison is showing us a series of comics, each one becoming more infected, I suppose, with the invasion. And so the infection in Pax Americana is so thorough, no one ever gets a chance to realize. The cl- to, to point to yeah, that. The yeah. closest you get is is Adam's mentions of it before he leaves the universe. So, well, but also, are, so are you then of the reading mm-hmm. that Hartley, being the comic book artist, mm-hmm. is in some way responsible for it, or that he was... 
so infected. I'd, I'd like, I can definitely see what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that Hartley's Hartley Senior, yes, yeah, absolutely, was the comic book creator. Right. Like, what does that do to that? Yeah, what what does it theory? do? To it? Yeah, I don't know. It really depends because to me, it depends on how much Morrison is going for. Like how much he's going for sort of a straight one-on-one sort of New Testament approach to it and how much he's going as sort of a Gnostic text treatment of it. You know what I mean? Because definitely Pax Americana plays a lot with the idea of uh, the idea of uh, Hartley Jr. as Jesus, apprentice Jesus, essentially, making his father – a god, a comic book creator, but also the god. If Morrison is n- playing with a Gnostic conception of things in which the god is a fake god and a and a trickster and a trap maker, sort of, then then I think it's quite possible that he will have a later role to play in which he can be revealed or maybe the inception of this sort of the gentry concept. I suppose, you know, I, I'm, I also have a theory that multiversity is being told like the issues are moving backwards in time. Um, like they say their current point, but, but Morrison is specifically moving through periods of comic book time backwards and the, and that the Blackhawk issue, which seems like it's a pulp tribute from like, earlier in time comic book wise is actually the pulp revival movement from the two thousands. Um, you know, where you had but, like the but DC Pax first kind of takes, but Pax Americana takes place next year. Explicitly. Oh, sure. All, all of these books do, I think, but like the same way that the super sons book is kind of a, the issue before it is a nineties book. I feel like this is an eighties book. They're all set. Currently, oh sure, I oh I get what you're saying. The the influence, yeah, the 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 source text is is exactly. And so, whereas okay, where we thought back. that the black, I thought the Blackhawk source text was the pulp universe. It's actually Morrison being very smartass, and it's actually him riffing on the sort of the first wave stuff that DC first was doing, stuff, yeah. as well as maybe Dynamite's you know nouveau pulp that they're doing. You know, oh, that that's that's very interesting. I. I Huh. I wouldn't have thought about that at all. Yeah, I, I and the, yes, the timing of multiversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pax Americana is so dense oh, and so mm-hmm. um, precise mm-hmm. that one of the interesting side effects for me is things that I would just read as mistakes mm-hmm. in other books. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is there meaning? For example, the timing of the elections mm-hmm. has stuck with me since the first reading because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because there's, we see a 2008 election and then talk about 2015 election. Yes, and I'm like, why is there seven years? Yeah, like that does not make sense. It's like, is it a mistake? Mm-hmm. Does, at some point, did they change a the date and not change the earlier date, or, or you know, vice versa? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are we supposed to take something from the fact that it's seven years? Like, is seven right a clue? Is, is seven does seven have a meaning that I don't understand? I. I feel like it is because I think the isn't the idea sort of that um, 
what's his name is president for two terms and he gets assassinated in 2015, right? Or is it coming up on 2015? No, he, 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 he wins the 2015 election. Right. That is in the dark. Okay, right. So, and you also see him campaigning for 2008 election. The only thing I, the only way I can make it sense, make it make sense mm-hmm. is the 2008 election is a midterm. Mm. And he's not a president or he's not campaigning for himself. Right, right. And therefore the 2015, so they can have that off. Or maybe it is just like seven years is a thing. You know, oh, I, that I, they've I, got it, a seven-year deal? Well, it's interesting because yeah. I just sort of assumed, and I could be wrong, the idea that he's campaigning for his presidency. In, he serves as – so it's Wesley 2008, and 2008 is the year that he's inaugurated. But, like, there's that confusion sometimes. Like, we talk about the election for the president – is that how it works? That's not sure. Sure, we're, yeah, we're go- we're going to be talking like about a 2016 election. Yeah. So, I, but I, you know, it's the idea is like he's coming up on the end of his two his second term, and he's you know his idea is to to die and and reincarnate or to 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 become super Jesus essentially. The other thing that uh, really messed me up with the chronology was hilariously not in the comic at all but in David Dusenberry's he did a, a picture on Twitter about the start of his annotations mm-hmm. and it was so off with my reading of the comic I was like have I been reading the comic entirely oh, that's wrong so funny why was he saying because he, he said the, the cover of the comic is the last panel chronologically in the story uh, and that's, that's not true for me uh-huh. because doesn't the interrogation of Peacemaker come after he shot the president. In the oh, start. right. Yeah, that's true. That's actually a good point. Right. It's the... Or, or, or maybe it does... Like, that was the thing. Like, I, he said that, and I was like, well, this America is much smarter than me. Yeah. So am I wrong? Right. Like, is is Peacemaker getting interrogated for assassinating another president, and then he goes on? <laughs> is someone else assassinating Hartley and pretending to be the Peacemaker? Oh, wow. That would be... Uh, that would be... Kind that's of just it. Like, yeah. I completely... Right. I was like, oh, shit. Am I... Am I because the chronology of this comic is fascinating. Yes. Yeah. And like, and again, very precise. Morrison calls it out in the text. Yeah. When as Adam talking about reading backwards forward. In fact, not only uh, does Adam talk about reading things in different directions. Yeah. The first uh, dialogue mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the Peacemaker's interrogation yes. is we've you know we've run this backwards forwards. So it doesn't make sense. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and so the idea of reading the comic out of order, quote unquote, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is implicit mm-hmm. in the text yes yeah you have to read and it so i was like mm-hmm. i i think you know i i i was like i think i understand mm-hmm. you know the chronological chronological guard to the story yeah. and then i saw his marriage thing and i was like oh or i don't right <laughs> or i really don't understand what's what's actually happening in this yeah story. it's one of those weird like it it's it, it is one of those things if it trips you up because the you know the idea that it you know the beginning is the ending and the ending scene is the beginning ostensibly. And yet, yeah, absolutely. There are points that, that come after this sequence, as you point out, there's actually several scenes that clearly happen, have to happen after that. Um, so it is, it's, it's a unless, unless they don't, I, <laughs> unless there's, there is, that's, there is this as an issue of someone who is not Hartley. Uh, yeah. Which doesn't make sense because there's the ring reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. I'm, yeah, that, that really yeah. very much threw me off when I saw mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have, a, I have a straightforward narrative question about sure. this. 
who killed Nora? Uh, uh, I isn't it? They make it seem like it's Sarge Steel. Is certainly the inference. I think um, Sarge Steel is shown uh, picking up the bust as, with his metal hands or up. something, right? And, oh yeah, yeah. And cleaning up too. So he's sort of well, no, no. Sarge, when I say cleaning up, Sarge Steel kills the scientists who have sent Captain Adam somewhere. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and I think you see Sarge Steel beating up the peacemaker as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and maybe arguably killing him. I'm not sure. I would have to. I would have to double check on that. But I think it's kind of possible that he might be, um, just because of the 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 blood on the dove. You know, the the blood and the mm-hmm. collapsing dove wing. So yeah, I think you kind of have this idea of. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it really is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, Sarge Steel killed him. But of course, I'm sort of like, but that's the least interesting thing about this man, you know? Because it. Because what I think is great for me is the way in which Morrison is is doing such a fucking amazing job of stalking Alan Moore in this comic book. You know, <laughs> he really is. It is such an amazing like. See, this is why you don't work. This is why your stuff isn't awesome. I know because I've read it over and over and over and over and over and over so that I can learn to write just like you. And let me tell you, it does not work. And this lock of your hair that I've been sleeping with under my pillow for 10 years, it smells like poo. I don't care about you at all. You know? Um, and <laughs> that's, that's hilarious because I see this as a book where Morrison is rejecting Moore's ideas, mm-hmm. but very eagerly adopting his practices. See, whereas I don't you. So I, so mm-hmm. I think I think I don't read it as a total refutation of Moore's of Moore at all. See, it's not a total Moore. It can't be a refutation because because a stalker's a, a an angry stalker telling off the the hit the confused stocky. It's it's never quite a, a refutation. What I think is interesting is, don't you feel that his the scene with uh, Captain Adam basically disassembling the dog and talking about, I thought pieces would explain the whole, but it's, it's hard to love the pieces, you know, and the, and locating the source of feeling like, don't you feel that's kind of more. Right, but also, also importantly, then putting it back together and then saying it's not the same. Well, that's what I'm saying is, uh, well, right. He's putting, he puts the dog back together. So in other words, Morrison is rejecting, Moore's hyperformalism. He's not adopting Moore's hyperformalism at all. And I mean, you can't really accept the, with Moore as, at least as a hyperformalist, it's very difficult to reject the ideas and embrace the technique. I feel like Morrison's, Morrison's goal is to use all of Moore's tools against him to make an argument as to why they don't work or what ends up working is going to be superficial. Like anytime anyone accuses Pax Americana of not working, Morrison is kind of easy. It's easy for him to go right. Exactly. And yet what's fascinating is for me, I enjoyed more, uh, so much of Morrison's adaptation of Moore's techniques that even when Morrison is doing them to, to in service of making fun of them, like the sequence in which um, Nightshade and her father are walking through 
the building, um, it's still, there's parts where it becomes absolutely hyper enjoyable, you know, Wait, I, oh, I, I'm confused. Why is the, the sequence where Nightshade and her father are walking through the building making fun of? It, uh, it, I feel because the dialogue is really, really, uh, he has the one door closes Evie and then he's like, and another opens and, you know, the, at each of his page turns, it's really crazily super obvious, I feel. And even the things when, like, Morse, it looks like Morrison is using Moore's tactics of having them, the, the dialogue is a very, um, is a hyper commentary on what's happening in front of them. Like, Morrison is taking that to, I feel like, absurd levels he he makes a point to to push it to where when they're descending the stairs and he's like unless we take steps to prevent the decline everything goes into reverse and she says that should suit you you go back on everything you say dad and so there's there's a lot of the punning of just them talk going down the stairs and talking about you know things going literally in decline as they go down this you know through down the steps um there is like morrison is i feel making huge fun of moore's two on the nose formalistic dialogue uh, uh, particularly in that scene that scene uh, that three-page sequence and also the fact that the sequence itself looks like it might run longer and and doesn't like the fact that at the bottom of the stairway sequence there, the whole, um, the, when, when Morrison says, you know, he's like, what we need is a convincing exit strategy. And she says, you mean a retreat into the past? That's, that's kind of this clear cue that you're like, Oh, okay, here comes the flashback structure. And Morrison it makes it a point not to like, he's, he, I feel like he's taking Moore's tools and subverting them and and like i said having having a having a certain amount of fun refuting them um you know not just in that dog mm. sequence but especially specifically that sequence where i was like um and there might be another one i think with uh the the sequence with the blue beetle and the question where where you know blue beetles like yelling something like get a grip or something like that. And it's just like, it's, it's so painfully on the nose that, that I feel like Morrison's doing that to kind of be like, yeah, see, this is, this is not that great. You know, this is really kind of ridiculous, you know? I, I, okay. I'm, I, I guess I just read it. <laughs> no, because I like you're saying everything. I'm like I could totally see what you're saying, but I didn't read that at all. And what's interesting is the part where you, uh, the panel where uh, Doctor Eden talks about we need a, a convincing exit strategy, mm-hmm. and she goes a retreat into the past. I honestly took that as a dig uh, for Moore going from the deconstruction mm-hmm. in Watchmen to Supreme mm-hmm. to Tom Strong mm-hmm. to to the the the. the, the Deliberate right. uh, evocation of the Silver Age and before the Silver Age, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to I dig it the the Watchmen structure where you know 
if someone says pass, it's followed by a flashback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, this is it. I, 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 I'm so interested because I didn't take that. I didn't take that. That cue? That, well, no, I didn't take that scene at all mm-hmm. as a particularly Morrison, as particularly Moore referencing mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I got much more of the Moore reference in the the double page spreads uh, where the question's investigating the murder at the same time as you're seeing the peacemaker talking to Nora at the same time as you're seeing Nora being hunted down. Right. Well, you know, that, that two page spread mm-hmm. was very much like I, that's, and obviously the opening, and I, I guess I got some of the more obvious Watchmen elements because I've, you know, you've read Watchmen. Let's be, you know, right. conservative probably 10 times more than I have. <laughs> If not more, <laughs> um, and so a lot of the intricacies of Watchmen are lost to me. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't read that as that at all. And so it's kind of, I'm like, huh, you're probably right because you know the sorting theory about it. Well, no, I, I could very well be wrong. It's probably more that uh, as someone who, who's, who I think I've read, I think I read a lot more more than you have generally or i've certainly enjoyed it and therefore i've reread stuff so there is uh there's a way in which that the end of the scene and someone's talking with ellipses is such a cue that everyone learned i feel to like you jump the scene and then you've got the ellipses and the person finishing their statement in in the other scene whether that's the past or whatever but it's something that's generally sort of super super on the nose you know um i don't know i mean i i i was really impressed of course i just sort of really loved um i i even loved the idea that more so anyway to return to to what you were saying so so how do you think that morrison is embracing like rejecting his ideas but embracing his uh moore's style i guess well i think he's embracing the formalism more than mm-hmm. that morrison normally does morrison is i wouldn't say he's a formal stylist for the most part mm-hmm. uh you know when he's working with quietly yes mm-hmm. but i always i always took that as quietly's lead more than morrison right because you know when, even when you read something like annihilator mm-hmm. you know what for all the formalism that's on play mm-hmm. there it's much looser than what you. Oh might yeah, hear. and actually, the the, yeah, the, the, might, the, mm-hmm. the tightness of mm-hmm. this is is very oh, it's, is yeah, super quiet. You know, it, yeah, yeah. But also, it's very much what I consider Watchmen esque, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, because Watchmen is remarkably constructed and very. Uh, I'm trying to think of another way of saying suffocatingly constructed. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? No, like like Watchmen is. So precise, yes, and so very deliberate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that if you are not a formalist, mm-hmm. yeah, you find like, it oppressive. Yes, mm-hmm. that, that there really is a sense of like, you know, okay, I get it now. However, I feel that like this is actually intruding on the the, the flow of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I and, so, uh, and and I, yes. I think that I think that's true of Pax Americana. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Morrison plays with that within Pax Americana. Yes. And so you, but also, so when I, so that's his embrace of the formalism, shall we mm-hmm. say. Uh, and the, the reputation of the ideas, I think, is Morrison for, and we've talked about this before, for all his flaws, 
still believes in superheroes as an idea. Mm-hmm. And so you have Atom and Hartley. Am I, am I getting the president's name? Yes, right? Hartley? it is Hartley. Yeah. Um, believing in the myth of the soul hero mm-hmm. and the myth that one man can make a difference mm-hmm. uh, to the point where both of them are willing to die for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, but so are, but, you know, ultimately you could argue the peacemakers as well mm-hmm. because he, he sacrifices himself yes. in order to fulfill Hartley's ambition. Yes. Uh, and I think that while Watchmen is ultimately an incredibly cynical book mm-hmm. the only people in Watchmen who display that level of uh, misguided idealism shall we say mm-hmm. are shown by Moore to be to be misguided to be fools mm-hmm. to be wrong mm-hmm. well I think he sh- and, and hmm, I- interesting so and those people would you say are you saying those people are specifically Rorschach and Ozymandias in the Watchmen narrative then yeah okay I, I, I think everyone, I think everyone else is acting in and I'm not even sure I'd include Ozymandias in that to be honest mm-hmm. um, I, I feel everyone in Watchmen is uh, is gaming system is not the right way to put it mm-hmm. but they're all aware of they are they're, they're called right. a, a larger machine, and that they only have a certain amount of freedom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that they act within that framework and that understanding uh, for their own ends. Whereas I think in Pax America, you have it, it's explicitly about characters who are rejecting the system and trying to change the system, and the way that Pax Americana is constructed mm-hmm. and its placement within multiversity mm-hmm. and its placement within the multiverse, the larger multiverse right. of the story, mm-hmm. um, you could argue that they are more successful or at least not as doomed as Watchmen shows. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Because um, I would say, and I could be wrong, that it, that I think to me... I love that we disagree with each other. We both like add so many caveats. Yeah, we always do. We're like, like, mm. I disagree with you, but I probably Yeah, won't. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, because I do think there is... I think there's something to... I think all of your ideas are very sound. Also, my thing is, is I have not read... My brain, it, for whatever reason, is just sloppy and unfocused enough that it's hard for me to sit down and say, I believe that Watchmen actually has more saying that that essentially all of the superheroes, as you said, are gaming the system. They all have secret motives, but I think his point is is that actually all of those characters, as the story goes on, as compromised as they are, each show a form of heroism, even arguably the comedian at, you know, some points. So more actually is talking about a heroic story. It's just his idea, the idea that whether or not good wins or evil wins is ambiguous. His ending is very much posed on that idea of is Ozymandias's world a, a good world? And is well, it about to be I mean, thrown I mean, over by Rorschach? 
by Rorschach's sort of uh, insanity or is it vice versa? You know, well, maybe, maybe I've, you know, a, I know for a fact I've not read Watchmen in a number of years, right. but I also maybe I'm too cynical on Moore's behalf, but I would argue that Watchmen is about a rejection of the idea of good and evil. That you can't say good or evil are going to win because the, the, the system's going to win. You know, that, and that the system includes a certain amount of, I don't want to say give or take, mm-hmm. but that the ending for me is about that there is no lasting peace or there is no lasting uh order but i sort of yes the the i i i would say that there the idea is that there is no lasting order seems appropriate that that more the reason why more is sort of making a the strongest of an anti-superhero argument in Watchmen is the idea that if superheroes are people, people are going to, they're going to fuck things up. You know, they're going to fuck up the conspiracy. They're going to fuck up their lives. They're going to fuck up. Like, it's just that it, it is ultimately a rejection of, which is ironic because Moore's hyper-formalism lends itself very easily to paranoia and fascism and yet more is ultimately you know an anti-paranoid and an anti-fascist you know but but his 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 embrace of the style pulls him that way and i think that there is a case maybe to be made in pax americana that that morrison is saying that that hyperformalism leads to things but but, but wait would you would you genuinely argue that more is anti-paranoid yeah, I think I think Moore is anti-paranoia. I, I think he very much is. How do I put it? Because his works are he a, a good example would be From Hell. You know, From Hell's like a very interesting case in that Moore in in the comic lays down the foundations for the idea that the twentieth century is ruined or dominated by a spell cast by, you know, a, uh, a prostitute murdering mad physician, you know, at the most literal level. When you take it at the thematic level, it becomes more the idea that all of the ideas that it manifest in the 20th century were implicit and inherent in the Ripper murder. But more in his afternotes is at every point makes it a point to argue rigorously for the ridiculousness of that idea. Like his, the conspiracy that he constructs, what is it? There's like some myth that the person who constructs something at day and just destroys it at night, like more is in the process of constructing these, constructing the narrative and from hell. And yet to him behind the scenes, what he talks about is explicitly the creative magic embodied in creation that he's engaged in is at the same time that it's inspired by William's goals magic, it's actually goals magic that's a parody of his. That that all real magic that exists out in the universe is a parody of the creative act, is the only truly magical act that Moore believes in, 
right? So I believe in that sense. He does not he does he's not i don't believe he is uh paranoid because even though the narratives that because the formalism traps you in a paranoid na- narrative that he himself is aware of he is not a himself a paranoid you know he believes in the beauty of the of of a formal architecture um and the idea that it points towards a, a holistic universe, um, even as he, I feel, at least after a certain point, acknowledges the idea that the con- that the result of it is the construction of paranoid conspiracy and potentially fascistic archetypes or or narratives. Okay. <laughs> And I'm only I'm only saying that because I feel like I have to say something otherwise that we dead air and you'll get paranoid. Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah. um, I, I and I'm sorry. I, see, I, here's yeah. the thing: you make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. and inherently, I'm like, but he's paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> like genuinely, you're. I, I'm hearing everything you're saying, and I'm like, but Moore himself is paranoid. Well, there's the aspect of more that you see in his interviews in relationship to the comic book industry. He's paranoid about the comic book industry, but well, and and everyone in it. Yeah, but like if, if you look if you look at a history of Moore's relationship with at this point almost every single collaborator. Mm-hmm. Like, he ends up in a really weird place. Well, I feel like he's a little bit of that embodiment of just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. You know what I mean? Like, he has had situations where people – I do believe that he has had situations where people who are his friends call him up and try to kind of prod him into doing – like, signing off on a Watchmen prequel or whatever it happens to be. And that freaks him out. Certainly there's a case where – you know, you can't as as Alan Moore. If someone, and I'm sure there are many people who are like, "Oh man, you got to read this Pax Americana." I'm sure you know his interviews would be like, "No, I don't." But there are people who yes, are like, "Exactly." I, I I hope that no one tries to do that for everyone's yeah, sake. Yeah, exactly for everyone's sake. And yet, I it would not surprise me if six months from now, Rich Johnson is like, "Hmm, you know, we got to push some crossed 100." issues i've got to have a talk with him i'm gonna to have to ask him you know what i mean and morrison is it's, it's not out, gonna, by the way what crossed 100 i don't know i don't yeah. think so i think it's coming up soon i think it's coming up soon okay. um i was just gonna ask because i i'm i know that i'm not going to read it because it sounds like everything i don't like about alan Moore. Oh, yeah. but i'm super curious to hear what you think of it I, you know it's it's funny because i my I'm a huge, huge fan of Thomas Pynchon, you know, and I did not mention it. I don't think on my pod here on this podcast, but I, a couple of months back, sat down and read uh, uh, Bleeding Edge, which for people like me, it's like Thomas Pynchon writing about 9-11 and the Internet is it's basically Thomas Pynchon writing about the world that Thomas Pynchon created. You know what I mean? And so there's kind of that idea of like, I walked into it being like, 
oh my God, what is this going to be like? And I think I mentioned it on Twitter. It was, it was, it was kind of a horrible experience, but how is it? I kind of have this thing of like, you know, whatever's going on with Moore and maybe there is going to be, you know, his novel is going to prove me wrong, but I feel at least as a comic book uh, writer, I feel that Moore's best days are behind him. So part of me is like, I can't imagine that Crossed 100 is going to have the snap and vigor to it that, you know, the Validator miniseries had, much less like you know, some of the stuff that he ended up doing with Supreme or something. And I like the validator oh, mini series before you, before we start talking about it, you know? No, no, no. But even still, I feel like that is, yeah. Although the, I think it was, I feel like that's, a, I feel like it's a painful thing to yeah. say. And I say that as someone who isn't a fan of Murr, but <laughs> still I'm like, Jeff, but that's going too far. But there, but there is a thing, you know, there was, there was a thing that very much struck me where I think it was someone like Norman Mailer talked about the idea that writers are athletes. Artists are, there are a few artists who are able to go on and produce fantastic, like to continue to grow and change and produce great work or even have a last great period. But for a lot of artists, there is a period of decline, you know, and I don't, oh, sure. and I, and I, I, yeah. I think for almost all artists, there's a period of decline, even if the decline is minimal. Right, exactly. Well, every once in a while, you get those guys who kind of surprise you by taking a left turn, or the, the people who are kind of like, "Oh my God, no! This person's their last phase is their is their greatest mm -hmm. phase," even though you know, because even as it atrophies, the idea is like, and I, I don't even know who I'm talking about here, particularly. I mean, what? what? Well, it, it interests me that you were saying this now because I would argue that's the case with Pax Americana. Mm -hmm. I, th I think Morrison's been on a decline for for con a considerable period of time, mm -hmm. and I think this was much more um, focused and oh, honestly, interesting yeah, yeah. than than anything he's come up with for a long mm -hmm. time. It, it is it is deeply deeply it is good, and I mean it is. I feel like well, we'll see where it goes because I personally think that. No, I, I, I don't even mean most versity. I mean, like, Pax no, Americana. Pax Americana. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, yeah. when I say where it goes, I kind of mean Morrison's career. Cause is this a blip oh, yeah. where he really, this, this is his strongest attempt yet to explicitly say things in a way that we will get, um, in regards to Moore's influence. Cause I think there's a lot of people, I remember, some people have done some miraculously good annotations uh, talking about Alan Moore essentially being the secret villain of the Seven Soldiers miniseries and how that plays into it. Like he's the the missing tailor in Suicide Swamp or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, I feel that this this is this really was a remarkable piece of work. I mean, it was a a fabulous comic. I it's 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 great when I read comics and get to read them again. Um, and you yeah, know, I I read I read uh, Back to America the first time. Mm -hmm. I think I even tweeted this like in the middle of the day when it came in. Mm -hmm. Like it came in the mail, and I was like, I am stopping everything right. to read this. And my first thought was, I have to read that a lot more. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Like I I feel like I've gotten maybe a tenth of this comic. Mm -hmm. I have to I have to go back and read it, and I have continually just gone back and gone back and gone back. Well, and I'm fascinated by the way in which you sort of mentioned uh, Moore's uh, his disbelief in the system or his his, amb his ambivalence about the system uh, of 
you know, the, the idea that the system sort of ends up sort of crushing the heroic ideal and Morrison believes in the heroic ideal. I feel that Morrison, with the imagery of the Mobius strip and the infinity loop um, and the way that he plays with time here, I think is also – Is is demonstrating the opposite? Is demonstrating that, that there is a natural uh, – Yeah. That... Or – Order that extends beyond man's intent. Uh, yes, that there is a decline and rise and decline and rise, essentially. So the, even the way in which the superhero narrative rises and falls um, matches his belief in, I guess, sort of disease and health. I suppose is the way I guess I'm trying to wrap around like, which I guess is, is, you know, a, not a new Morrison theme, especially if you factor in something like the film. Exactly. Or even the invisible. Yes. You know, he, he's, he returns that a lot. So one last thing about Pax Americana, and then I want to bounce on to Annihilator. Oh, okay, great. Um, from between the first issue of the Mulsiversity and Pax Americana, mm-hmm. I am curious where, Obama plays into all of this <laughs> because Obama Obama is Superman in the first issue of Monster. Yes, and in Pax Americana you see that Bush is replaced by Hartley. Yes, and I I don't know that that doesn't feel accidental. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. So, and I'm very curious as to what that point is mm-hmm. because the other thing about Pax Americana is it's for all of its um, watchmask, mm-hmm. it's very much based in American politics in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's the references to the two towers. There's yes. there's references to the Quran. There's references to, the two, to you know Bush as a president yes. to what America needs, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and in that light, Cal Ellis as the president mm-hmm. feels more politically charged. Mm-hmm. Than he has been since when he first appeared in first in Final Crisis, mm-hmm. which you know came out at the same time mm-hmm. as Obama was being sworn in right. for the first time. Right. Um, and I I'm not sure if that's accidental. I'm not sure if that's on purpose. It's definitely yeah, I, that's if, a good it's point. It's on purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it means, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, or if it's if it's something we're meant to pick up on. If it's if it's an in joke, you know what I mean. Like I'm not sure whether it's going to be developed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or whether it's just going to be laid out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I suspect, I mean, it would be very easy to be like, well, the idea is that, you know, this, we think of the superhero as an American invention and therefore how we feel about the superhero might be tied to how we feel about America. It may be something just as, as simple as that it, it, or, mm-hmm. or the idea in which and and actually I do think that this would be a very potent theme um which we, you know for time constraints and however we might get into but precisely our perceptions of America as the shiny knight of the world you know as as the world superhero or as essentially something that is being destroyed by the gentry you know, is I think uh, I, I like you said. I don't. I don't think that that is accidental. It may end up be that the multiversity is a huge statement about 
what not just what we need from superheroes, but the idea that we need to believe in America, that we can't just afford to let it slip into cynicism, you know, mm-hmm. um, which would be very heartening. Uh, on the other hand, it also I, I, I feel now more than ever, there's a lot to be said about the idea of America where we can't just be like, oh, well, hey, you know what? If we don't pay attention to it, it's going to turn out OK anyway. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. After this week, yeah, yeah it's very hard to be like, "Hey, believe in America." Yeah, right. Exactly. You yeah. know, it's like really, yeah. really, because mm-hmm. yeah, America's not done that great. Really yeah, for sure. Days. Exactly. Even even when we're trying to not let it run itself. Um. So yes, Annihilator. Let's go from the the yin to the yang. Yeah, Annihilator feels very. I, as much as Pax Americana feels like Morrison talking about Moore. Mm-hmm. Annihilator feels very much like Morrison talking about Morrison. Mm. Or is that just me? How far did you read all three issues? I've read all three oh, issues. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know. It could be. Um, Morrison – well, let me put it this way. Do you think that it's Morrison talking about Morrison or do you think that it's Morrison talking about, you know, air quotes Morrison? About – because I, I think there is actually a really good case to be made that Annihilator – sort of remember how I was saying that I sort of got this vague sense that maybe Annihilator was taking the piss about Al Cott's change maybe without without me having read it? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think you've ever told me that. Did you say that in the podcast? I don't – I, I, maybe I said it in an I, email I, or something, but yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that sounds totally new to me. I did not know that. That um, uh, Unpack that, Jeff. Well, okay – Everyone, bad news. Or, or, or are you going back on that now? No, 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 no. Well, so that was the take that I got, and it's not fair because I, I, I still haven't read all of Change. I only read the first issue. <laughs> but oh, okay. In that case, you should, you should, yeah. Uh, read the rest of it because I get a very different vibe from the first issue from than from the entire series. Right. And I think you and I talked about this. Like I completely. Like, change was the thing where I was like, oh, I totally get it now. Right. That's kind of what you said. Whereas, like, I tried poking through it, and I'm kind of like, ah, feels like a work in transition it's, to me. So It's, it's yeah, you get to the end of mm-hmm. it is, is my – because I, I actually agree. I think it is a work in transition. Right. But I think by the time that you get – I think, A, that's intentional, mm-hmm. and B – I, part of me is almost like, well, that's unfair to say when you read a quarter of the work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because like, sure. then when you get to the end of the work, then the transition has – I was going to say transition. Right. Because I'm inventing words. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, and interestingly no, but, enough – Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, yes. The, the change of the title yes. has occurred yes. and, and you have – you've literally gone all the way through it. So, yes. which is great because I think you halfway argued about that being – argued almost the opposite about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century. I think because your whole point was when I talked about the end redeeming it, you're like, but does the end redeeming it make up for all the rest of the stuff that you plowed through? And I was like, well, yeah. And you're like a lot of head shaking from Graham McMillan at that point. I guess for me, there's a difference between a story that ends. And so plot elements make more sense as opposed to uh, problematic elements. Like, for example, racism and <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. Like, I, I, or do you disagree? Well, like, uh, I, I, it's one thing for me to suspend judgment on the arc of a narrative mm-hmm. than is for me to say, well, by the end, you know, it's all about the 
female characters, so the misogyny is not a problem. I, I don't know. They, they seem very different to me. I I do get that, and I, I sort of feel like we would then end up spending just as much, uh, as much time arguing about it as we did the first time. So so let yeah. me say this. No, yeah, exactly. Let's move on. Yeah, let me say that at first I so having read the first issue, I just kind of got this vague sense that Grant Morrison was taking the piss on change, uh, and because in part because I kind of had this. As I think I, I, and I know this part I mentioned on the podcast, the idea that Morrison, as somebody who it's, has been really getting screenwriter work ostensibly in oh, yes. Hollywood, I, I remember you having you having a lot of problems with the idea of, of Hollywood as presented. In this exactly, book. I, I remember that very clearly. That your your utter disdain for yeah, it. exactly. Well, disdain, but also just genuine confusion. Like I really did have this thing of like. Is Morse like is Morrison yanking yanking our chain and how or why? Anyway, three issues into Annihilator, I feel that once you I hadn't really thought about it, but once you say the idea of Morrison it being about Morrison, I sort of wonder if Morrison is maybe writing about the idea of Morrison. I suppose like the that that how he's perceived. How he perceives himself, but also in the idea that Max No Max represents this sort of lineage character, which I thought, which I loved in the third issue, but for whom Morrison himself represents a, in, in other words, the, the, the screenwriter in Annihilator isn't Morrison, it's, 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 a, it's basically the Morrison imitators who have followed him, and they're writing about what they think is Morrison, and which is Max Nomax, and Max Nomax is actually different. It, it represents Morrison as Morrison, that he's a trickster character that is not understood. Interesting, because I get the opposite, mm -hmm. which is I get Max Nomax as the idea of Morrison. Mm-hmm. And I get race by space as the as the Morrison, and so for me, a lot of it is Morrison's self image. Morrison's self image being overwhelmed and disappointing other people's image of Morrison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could, which could be, yeah, sense. no, no. And I, I think I, I don't know if you caught it, but when I when I wrote my brief review of, of books that I was reading on the Wait What podcast, I talked about how rereading the first issue of The Filth and realizing how much it's the first issue of Wanted at, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and realizing like, oh, right, the fact that Morrison actually does identify as Greg Feely, I suppose, and not Eminem, is, is kind of the secret to Morrison and how he works, that he does see himself like even as he's like running around with the suit and, and the shaved head and the Morrison con that he really is Ray space or Ray Spas or however it's yeah. pronounced and, and Greg Feely. I think there's, I think there's a really good case to be made for that. Um, I, 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 and I, I, so I, I really from Annihilator, I get a lot of Morrison and not for the first time externalizing his own, failure to live up to other people's expectations of him mm, mm -hmm. uh, and 
trying to turn that into, and again, this is me projecting an idea of Morrison onto him, Mm -hmm. but an idea of him trying to create an act of creative magic around his own failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Much like the filth does, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the I think the filth and annihilator both do really similar things, which is Morrison is trying to deal with his own self-loathing by externalizing it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and instead of actually ever really properly addressing his self-loathing, he creates a comic book story about it in which someone who is a Morrison analog ultimately triumphs over Morrison's self-loathing, which is externalized as his other thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think right. Flex Mentalo also fits into this. I think. Yes. If you look at all like those three series as essentially the same story happening a decade apart each time, yeah, yeah. then you, you continually see Morrison as this uh, washed up failure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who has to recreate himself mm-hmm. and deal with being seen as a relic or being seen as past his prime. I see that in Greg. Uh, right. Okay. So race space is somebody who's past his prime and is. Yeah. Because you have, you have all the way through Annihilator, you have people talk about what have you written? And he'll say whatever the name of the film is. And the next line is inevitably, oh, that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's very, very explicit for me that race space is someone whose best work is behind him. Mm-hmm. Except, no, it's, it's a Morrison story. Right. He'll come out of it with like the creative genius at the end of it. But his best work is behind him right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is washed up. He's generally seen as someone who is... Uh, other people put up with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other people are polite with him because of what he represented historically mm-hmm. as opposed to what he is, is doing contemporarily. Right. And so... And the same is true of... I honestly can't remember the name of the, the rock star in Flex Metallo. Um And Greg, Greg in the filth is different because I don't think he ever had a prime as such, mm-hmm. but I think he is also the most extreme yes. of Morrison's yeah. uh, self-loathing manifestations. Yeah, each one of them are sort of various self-loathing cartoons. I think Annihilator, for me, is the funniest of them. It's the one where I feel like Morrison is... It and maybe that's why the screenwriting stuff reads so dissonant to me. Is like that to me there is a either Morrison is not like if he's doing that in Annihilator, he's doing it from enough of a distance that it's more it's more it's happening this time as farce rather than a tragedy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which it may be. It, it's also if if you go along with my reading of Annihilator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fascinating to me that the bad guy then turns into race space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so does that represent other people who are trying to be Mars? See, and that's, that's kind of, that plays more into my theory, you know, is the idea that the, yeah, the villain being someone who's trying to turn into Mars. Well, or even that this idea that, that the trying to turn yourself into the ridiculous, ridiculous the misunderstanding of well or maybe i take it back because i'm not even getting to the end of my sentences maybe the fact that max nomax ultimately does not understand himself that race space has to explain his life to nomax no no you know 
And there, 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 there's a lot there. But like I said, Pax Americana feels like Morrison writing about Moore, mm-hmm. and Annihilator feels very much like Morrison writing about. I Moore. would say that. But again, my thing, the, just the fact that the character is named Max, no Max, to me suggests that Morrison, that 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 he's writing. I think he is writing about a misunderstanding about himself. But whether that where that misunderstanding plays in, I think we we have similar ideas. Or, or different ideas along the same theory. Like, in other words, we're, we're, we're at opposite ends of where Morrison is trying to convey that he's being misunderstood, I think, but we're both kind of on that. We're at opposite ends of the Morrison spectrum. <laughs> Summer Grunt Morrison's like, yes! Whoa! Feel my spectrum, boys. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I put it this yeah. way. It's between the two series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he feels more vital as a creator. Oh God! Than and, and having them come out at the because I think I, I want to say I picked them same up time. same week. Yeah. So reading them in the same afternoon, I was like, okay, this is the strongest case that he, I feel that he's made yet in the way for yeah this idea of like no he's still he's still kind of he's like no I still got it baby. <laughs> I, I, what's kind of amazing is that we're saying this like two years ago where it was like he's finishing up Batman Incorporated and here's his creator and series happy. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you really think, you know, in a couple of years, we'd be like, wow, Morrison has put out two of the most interesting comics in the last few months? Well, uh, well, it depends on what your definition of interest is. But yeah, I guess the difference is between interesting and vital. One of the things I think Batman Incorporated, his whole run on Batman is interesting as shit. Whether or not it's vital, whether or not it's executed well is a completely different matter. That's that's true. You know. Interesting is a, is a you know because there are many comics that are interesting and yet yes. not good. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, do you feel that Pax Americana had at least a little bit of its thunder stolen by Grayson issue three? And is that do you think that might be deliberate? Uh, neither of these no questions that occurred to him I guess what I'm saying is, is Grayson number three has that story told backwards structure where once you get to the back and oh, you read you it to the, the front fu- the future's end yeah series? sorry the future's end issue future's yeah, end yeah 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 sorry I, I say um, end, but yeah I no because it neither one was the first time that narrative trick has been employed I mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. and also Pax Americana isn't necessarily backwards. No, as you've pointed out, you've you've definitely pointed out that's not the case. But I also I, I do feel that. Um, well, I nonetheless I I have this thing of like I we may be fall. I wonder at the extent to which we're all people like me who keep screwing that up and saying it. I mean, more Pax Americana is a Mobius loop, you know, um, but. There, I do feel like having read the Grayson's Future End thing, which does have that, you read it backwards to forwards and then you read it, you know, you forwards to backwards and then backwards to forwards sure. and you get this really uh, uh, different experience of it. I sort of feel like there is a little bit of that that because it's so close to Pax I, Americana, yeah. it felt. I see, I see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't really feel that it had its, its thunderstorm because I didn't, upon reading Pax Americana, think, oh, Grayson did this. Yeah, that's true. Do you know right. what I mean? Like that—that's what I—that's what I would have to be the benchmark right. for me to feel that it actually had a thunderstorm. Okay, I definitely see that. I think that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, and well, and the great thing was there's so much other stuff on Pax Americana's mind. It really is a great comic that I—I I honestly feel like if I sat down, reread it now, and then called you back, we could probably talk for at least another hour about it. You know, 
So, uh, and then everyone would be clicking. As, as it is, us. everyone's like, "Oh my god, Jesus!" <laughs> like they're like, "Why did they talk for an hour about fucking movies?" <laughs> exactly, and then spend forty-five minutes on one comic. What's uh, wrong with you people? Yeah. Um, uh, so Graham, we've. Yes, we're, we're we're at the uh, the end of our two hours. Is there anything we, we are? I'm totally. I'm going to turn into a bug really soon, aren't I? <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go through some things super quick. Okay. Um, GI Joe Transformers three. Oh, sorry, four. Oh, shit, you went to the store yesterday, bastard. Uh, hey, it's it's exactly it's exactly what it's been like before, which is to say nothing like it's been like before. Yes, if that makes right, sense. Right. Like it continues to just be. Just bonkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, an absolutely nutty. Jeff, there's actually a bad Transformers trip in this. <laughs> like, really, one of the GI Joe's character eats a eats no. a, a hallucinogenic Transformers leaf. No, what? No, I I, I shit you not. Um, so everyone who's not been picking up the series yet, uh, uh, what's it called? It's called Transformers versus GI yes, Joe. It's Transformers, um, yeah. Issue four. People, it's the weirdest fucking comic <laughs> out there. Um, I got mailed both Wonder Woman issue 36 and Superman Wonder Woman issue 13, which are the Wonder Woman 36 is the first David Finch and Meredith Fish, Finch issue, and Superman Wonder Woman 13 is the first Pete Tomasi and Doug Mankey issue. Mm, oh, wow. And wow, those are definitely relaunches of Wonder Woman books that you kind of don't want to read back to back. Yeah, I bet. They're, they're, um, the shock is honestly Superman Wonder Woman because it's terrible. Mm, mm -hmm. What a shock. And I like Tomasi as a writer and I like Doug Monkey as an artist. Exactly. As an artist. And that book's terrible. Mm. I mean, just, it's arguably worse than Wonder Woman because you know they can do better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's rough, and I specifically want to call it the cover of Superman Wonder Woman 13. People, Google that cover and tell me that it doesn't look like something that someone put together in maybe five minutes because they had to get a cover on the book. <laughs> it's it's literally colored over Don Magnus' pencils, but they were clearly not pencils that were meant to be printed and not inked uh-huh. because you could see his line work underneath his line work. Superman, Wonder Woman, issue 13? 13, uh, yes. Oh, oh, yeah, that, you know, it's so funny, like it's, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's terrible, I mean, it's just, it's a, yeah, it's it's a terrible, it, it, terrible, terrible comic. It's almost like they, they threw on some sort of weirdo Photoshop filter, too, to make it look like, you know, oh, it's not that yeah, it looks like, like unfinished. We, like we meant to do this. Yeah. It's painterly. No, it's terrible. Yeah. It's just a horrible. Mm. Um, they, DC also sent me Supergirl issue 36, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I guess, a new creative team, mm-hmm. uh, which is Mike Perkins, Kay Johnson, and, uh, oh, God. M, oh, God, I always get her name wrong. Emanuela Lupicino, I think is how you say wow. it. Um, and in the weirdest way, it's, well, first of all, it's a whole new status quo for the character. Mm-hmm. It is pretty much an updated version of Legion of Superheroes that kind of turns it into Hogwarts in space, which is wow. kind of genius mm-hmm. um, and very much feels like a more mainstream version of Batgirl, mm-hmm. uh, of the Cameron Stewart, Brendan Fletcher, Babstar Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it went a bit further than it did. I 
as much as Manuel Lupacino's art is good, mm-hmm. it's not the right art for this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish they had someone like Babstar drawing yeah. it. I think it would be much more charming if they did. But it's an interesting place to go, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's a nice try, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, fi- fourth and final issue of Dr. Spectre, which is, at this point, I want to say three months late. And no comic I have read in years has felt like a complete clusterfuck as this comic. Uh, Doctor, did you say Doctor Spectre? Doctor Doctor Spectre, Master of the Occult. It's from Dynamite's Gold Key line. Ah, uh, thank you. Is that the Wade one? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. All right. And it is. Uh, and I've I've read all of the Gold Key books mm-hmm. up until now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. Really? And it ends on a cliffhanger that it says is going to be continued in Doctor Sp- in, uh, in Solar Man of the Atom. Ooh. I'm not necessarily sure that's true. Wow. Because the cliffhanger comes, I shit you not, out of nowhere. Man. Like, out of nowhere. And the cliffhanger does not involve Doctor Spectre, but it does say Doctor Spectre will return in Solar Man of the Atom. So I don't think the cliffhanger will ever be resolved. Wow. It is... Also, it has a fill-in artist, because the regular artist obviously jumped ship, probably why the book is three months late. Mm-hmm. So none of the characters look like they did before. Holy shit. To the point where the lead character now has facial hair, which he didn't before. <laughs> wow. It's a disaster. I mean, it's it's genuinely... I can't, I can't believe it, A, took this long, and is still such a mess right right you know it's it's just it's it's genuinely kind of staggering man interesting uh and uh, the, oh the other thing i want to say is the flash garden annual yes i read as well mm-hmm. did you read that? no i didn't get to the store to yesterday or today or or wednesday uh so um <laughs> it is friday as we record exactly um, yeah, yeah. happy Thanksgiving, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. How was it, Graham? Was it? Did you? Did you have an enjoyable one? I, I, I had a very nice Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah. Oh, you know here's the weirdest part of my Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, we had like the the, the orf, Portland Orphans Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. where, where lots of people who didn't go home or anything had Thanksgiving dinner together. Right. Uh, my friend Jenny mm-hmm. brought uh, a friend of hers who's just moved to town. He's only been here for three months. Uh, we're we're sitting next to each other. We're talking for like two hours or something. At one point, uh, we're talking about the fact that Kate's grandmother is so old-fashioned that when she writes Kate letters, she addresses it to Mrs. Graham McMillan. Mm, yes. Okay? I say that, and this guy can talk for two hours, goes, what's your name? <laughs> and I'm like Graham McMillan. And he goes, I interviewed you for CNN. <laughs> And I swear to God, Jeff, he did. We looked it up. Three years ago, he interviewed me from CNN. Isn't that fucking surreal? That's insane. I mean, that, that's not Like, that actually freaked me out. Oh, my God. I was really, I was like, that's that's actually really odd, and I'm uncomfortable now. <laughs> yeah, three years ago, he, he interviewed me from for CNN. Shit, what was it for? It, I sort of that I vaguely remember, remember, I vaguely remember you uh, being like, holy shit, NBC's, NBC's coverage of the Olympics <laughs> in 20. 
that nuts? Oh my god. Like, that's so weird. Yeah, anyway, so there you go. So that happens. Wow. That, that was a, a highlight, low light, weird light of the Thanksgiving for that, That's a I'm sure seriously that's, weird yeah. light. My light was less, far less weird than that. Uh, it was fine. It was actually very low key. Uh, my my mom and uh, one of her closest friends came to came here down here, and we had a, a delightful crab dinner, and it was great. It was incredibly relaxed. Um, it was just it was very very nice. I have to say, yeah, very very low key. And then afterwards, they they had to leave somewhat early, and they left behind some amazing pie. And we sat down and watched, uh, you know. Uh, live, die, repeat, and my wife was like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> and you're like, have more pie. Yeah, 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 please. That was it. <laughs> I think that may have been it. Once she was done with the pie, like, the movie ended for her, like, shortly about all of her goodwill was burnt off, like, about 15 minutes later. That that seems appropriate, but uh, now also we know how to get people to sit through uh, Tom Cruise movies. Well, you know, the first right. half was good, and and I'm still somebody who, like that <laughs> mission, I, I'm weirdly a, a Tom Cruise booster. Uh, but by the end of things, it was just bad. But it was fascinating to me how much it is uh, an, a way in which Tom Cruise is – it's kind of like the secret origin of Tom Cruise. He's really explaining to you in a way. He's justifying why he can be Tom Cruise at the end of the movie. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I still don't really want to see that guy kind of thing. You know? Exactly. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, sorry, Tom. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So the Flash Gordon Annual is is really weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is eight dollars, which <gasps> seems over. What? Um, it is only has one story with Jeff Parker's participation, which he co-writes, which sets up the King crossover from next year. All of the stories are prequels, like what everyone did before they met Flash. Right. Um, and but something Parker doesn't write them. Annoyed? Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. No. It's 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 uh, Ben Black and Ben Acker from the Thrilling Adventure them. and I love the Thrilling Adventure, and I found this book really disappointing mm. uh, and kind of weirdly annoying because mm -hmm. there's something about prequels, especially for something like Flash Garden, mm -hmm. where if you go, all of these guys have had spectacular adventures and met aliens before, right? Then you're like, that like, what's suddenly the point? Flash Garden become yeah, Flash Garden becomes less special, yeah, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, and so. I kind of can see the conceit, but it just seems the wrong series to do that with. And only like, and um, Evan Chainer is not doesn't isn't involved in the book at all. Oh, oh, wow. so yeah. you know, it, there really is just. And don't get me wrong, Faith Aaron Hicks does a, a Dale Art draws the Dale Arden story, and it looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But it all just seems a little off key to me, and so I, I, I find myself going, I'd rather just have another issue of Parker and Chainer's Flash Garden, please. Right. Right. Yeah, so that's my books. Mm. That's I just I just thought it speed through some stuff. What about you, Jeff? Well, let me quickly speed through. Fade out number three. I liked it. Uh, Southern Bastards number five um, didn't go quite where I thought it would be, and therefore was probably on the one hand it sort of seemed sensible, and on the other hand it seemed like a bit of a it, it's a gamble on Aaron and Latour's part because. It's that's the first part of the the origin of coach. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I found myself really weirdly thrown by that mm -hmm. more than I should have been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in a way, to me, I'm sort of like, oh, you know, this makes, uh, like it's 
it's sort of a nice swerve because you 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 have that you know the you finish the previous issue and you're like oh shit okay I'm ready for this character to show up let's bring in this exactly. character now shit's gonna go down shit's gonna yeah. go down and the fact that there's like another issue in there part of me was like oh. Like, on the one hand, it's like a good swerve. On the other hand, there's a way in which I was like, uh, uh, it, it felt like a narrative misstep to me. Like, it, it, it seemed, it seemed fancy, um, but in a way, I'm like, and maybe it'll, I can see lots of ways in which it pays off, but strictly in a, here's what you want. No, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm like, you know what? That's a mistake. You already, he, you know, they already pulled a very, very nice narrative fake out with the previous issue. You know what I mean? And I feel like it would, it would have served them better, or it certainly would have served me better as a character to like, come on, let's get to the, let's get to the meat of this kind of, as opposed to like, hey, check out this marrow. You know, um, fade out issue three uh, by Brew Baker and Phillips. Still enjoying it. It's feeling markedly more um, uh, faux James Elroy-y than I would have thought. And of course, I love Elroy, so part of me is like, that's fine. Like, it's kind of like, oh, that's great, but it also kind of has a little bit of the... Um, if it continues to go in that way, it'll point out a very interesting failure, I think, on Brubaker's part, which is this strange, like, the thing that I like the most about Brubaker's work generally is that he is a guy who kind of wants to do good genre work, you know what I mean? And I really appreciate that. He's like, no, I take genre work very seriously, I want to do good stuff and put things into it that matter to me, but that isn't going to throw off someone who appreciates good genre work. For me, who's always my big complaint has been like, I like James Elroy. There should be a lot more good ripoff James Elroy out there on the market, you know, so then I won't have to wait so fucking long to read James Elroy. Also, James Elroy himself may be a little bit too much of a monster personally for me to feel comfortable reading his books at this point. But I mean, not Bill Cosby monsterish, but monster-esque, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so the idea is, so part of me is kind of like, ah, oh, but Brubaker, like, I'm kind of like, uh, I feel like, I feel like this is, somehow this is Brubaker's most ambitious attempt yet at being unambitious. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very torn. Uh, Batman and Robin 36, 299. It's still, it is, it was great. It was a great fun. Are you are you getting the issues still? Really? Are you no, reading? I've I've totally dropped oh off. I I I purposely dropped off. Yeah, I did too. I, but I dropped off just because I was like, I mm-hmm. what it was was I missed an issue mm-hmm. and then found I didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Um, and you may not be behind this at all because this scratches sort of my Tony Daniels. I mean, it really is. I think I mentioned before, it's a little bit Tomasi kind of being like, oh, let's do that whole like Batman becoming like part bat, part Azrael armor to kick all these ninjas asses. Let's do a variant of that, but they all go to apocalypse. And, and so it's just great. It's, it's Batman in a super tech suit punching out Calabac drawn by, you know, Brendan Gleeson, Patrick Gleeson, just like being awesome. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, such a dopey, fun, energetic comic. 
You know what I mean? Like, and, and sometimes that works for you. And sometimes I know that kind of doesn't kind of, I know you're sort of like, ah, okay. You know, so, which is issue number two. I realize that I don't like jock. I don't like jock. I don't, oh, I don't like jock. <laughs> I'm applauding. <laughs> I, I, I have also, I've also come to the, yeah, he's uh he's a great colorist. He's a, he does he does nice covers. He does okay colors. Yeah. But like his but his there's a couple of things. You know how like Scott Snyder is a big and I'm not sure if Snyder necessarily is as good as his rep, honestly. I'm still up in the air about it. But I do know that there's some things that Snyder really wants to do. Like he's a big fan of like disorienting disorienting narrative jump cuts. And he has to be served by an artist who does the work. Otherwise, you just assume that that person took a shortcut and it didn't pay off. You know what I mean? And that's that's why I think his he and Jock are a bad match. Um, which is interesting. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I read like I I I read like I had to I I fell like four issues behind on uh, Batman Eternal. And so I had to read them all in a row, like in a huge, huge hurry. Um, and this, of course, is my classic joke. Almost as quickly as the people who created them worked on them. So, um, but I'm bummed. Yeah. Hey, oh. so, you are reading Future to End because if you're reading Future to End, you could make that joke even for one issue. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I am sure. Uh, honestly, I'm still buying. I'm still buying it. I'm still like, I think this is going to be better in the end. But with every single issue, it gets a little bit quieter. Yeah, I'm sure. I, you know, whereas I do have this thing of like, there's times when when it's a dumb Batman comic with good art. I'm I'm like, okay, I'm kind of down. I'm down. There's some nice art in here. Um, whenever I start to ask for more of it as a story, it really does kind of. It comically deflates. Um, oh, yeah. So, and then, and then there's a couple of, I read some old comics. I read actually the first three issues of the Stinkle, Steve Englehart Justice League of Americas that you lent me. We'll have to talk. I'm hoping that I'll have them all read along with the Avengers. I, I was just thinking this morning whether you read them. Yeah. I was like, I don't give this Jeff like two months ago. I know. Have you ever read them? I, and they've been sitting out forever, and I'm like, okay, finally, finally, now's the dime. And I sat down and read them. And there's an amazing. The one thing I want to mention is remember how someone pointed out that um, Steve Englehart pops up as the president of Ecuador as Esteban Corazon. Yes. Yeah. Did the did the did that person point out the fact that Englehart basically issues an uh an apology for make for dissing the justice league in it. No. So check it. I don't think yeah, so. So check it out. Like, um, I, I will, when you get my issue back to me, Jeff, this conversation's over. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like them? Oh, well, yes. Yes and no. I don't know. It's it's weird. I have to go through more of them. Anyway, I did want to point out that at one point Esteban Corazon, the pre- El Presidente de Ecuador, said, I had never thought to meet you, Justice League. At most, you were a myth from another world. Something 
I must confess to even burlesque when our patriotism needed pump priming. I believe in you now. And I was like, huh. So I'm fascinated by the idea that Englehart actually apologizes in text for spoofing the Justice League as the Squadron Supreme in Avengers. You know, it's a weird intertextual apology. Well, just just wait until Mantis shows up if you're one. Oh, of the right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, too. There's all this other stuff that's going on. Uh, we'll see where things go, man. I don't know. I mean, I, I, let's put it this way. I, I, For the most part, I adored the Manhunters. I really did. Um, uh, but but I do have some – and, and that the stuff with Wonder Woman is kind of weirdly hilarious. But, um, yeah. We'll oh, it's amazing, goes. isn't oh, it? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, we'll, we should talk about it next time because hopefully I'll have the other issues read and we can actually be like – you know, I can talk about this stuff without you being like, oh, Jeff, Jeff, just you wait till <laughs> – Yeah, exactly. I, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. You're not You're not terrible, but I'm always have that – I'm terrible. It's, it's like everyone – every time – Every time Graham says that, they should you should like look up the gif where Bert looks into the camera and furrows his brow, you know, because that's <laughs> wait, because that's what you're. That's doing. always what I'm doing. That's always what I'm doing, Ernie. Okay. That's Ernie. <laughs> so. Jeff, you're talking to the 90th most powerful man in comics. Oh, Come shit, on. yes! Oh, my Offer me God. some respect. Oh, my Let's God. Let's not explain that. Let's not explain that. Let's just leave that out there. Yeah, I think so. We have to, because, of course, we crossed the 230 mark, so now you're just starting to crackle and hum. So. Oh, oh, the best U2 album. You, you know, the worst part was I wasn't going to, I was like, shit, I didn't say rattle and hum. You were, you were, yeah, yeah, you were almost going for the same joke. I, I could tell. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. As soon as it came out of uh, my mouth. All right, so everyone. So yeah, we, yeah, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to us talk not about comics for an hour, and then about comics for a bit. Yes, absolutely. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. I'm gonna make this really sh- short because I don't want to have to splice together two calls because I'm too goddamn lazy. Graham, do you want to sing us out? <laughs> it sounds like you're uh, trapped on an electric fence. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, sorry. We'll see you next time.